0: Hello and welcome to episode 146 of the Ram Nintendo podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this show episode is called um, Breath of the Wild. That's Breath with a D. Uh, Because we're going to be talking about the incredibly massive, incredibly immersive Zelda Breath that's with no D, of the wild uh, this episode. So, we have both playing it a lot. We uh, have a lot to say about it on the broader level, kind of more little nitpicks, as you can imagine, given the time we've sunk in. So, uh, that's all coming towards the end of the show. Before that, though, we have a variety of news to discuss. We're going to be talking about some new Switch game details and the debates that have emerged around them, be it about porting or about pricing. Uh, we're we'll doing a check-in with how we feel about the hardware now that we're two weeks in, and have had time to kind of digest it versus last last episode where it was all just you know, right away, this first initial impressions. Uh, we also have a Jason Sales Corner because Switch has been posting huge numbers, and we're going to take a look at what that means and what, what MPD is showing us is like, the calm before the Switch storm. And we're even going to pay a visit to the 3DS, which I feel like we kind of, we and everyone else kind of forgot about. But it has its own set of news that's worth covering. So we've got all that, plus we have the winner of our $20 eShop giveaway to announce, which will be done at the end of the show. So if there's anything specific you want to hear, as always, timestamps are at RamTown.com on the blog post for this episode otherwise join us for the ride and i guess let's just jump right in
1: so so what's first
0: to start things off i, I figure we might as well keep it about the switch that's the big one that's the thing everyone's talking about so let's start with switch games um now maybe it's been a little quieter than it was during the pre-launch frenzy or even launch weekend but there's still some news to be had starring i think with mario kart 8 deluxe and uh Mario Kart's kind of an interesting situation. Like, anyone that listens to us regularly knows that last episode I shared hands-on impressions of battle mode, but in the time since, Nintendo actually rolled out a 5-minute trailer, trailer that breaks down a lot more of the new features and what the battle mode entails and that sort of thing. And surprise, surprise, there's actually more coming than we may have originally thought. Um, namely, Gold is a playable character, and Drifting Sparks now go orange, blue, and then purple. Those are No, the, the real highlight is um, they added five battle modes. Now I think five is a new record for Mario Kart. Uh, they've had, is it? I think they've had four. But I don't think they've had five. So just so barely. They added one more. They added one more. So yeah, if you if you don't know, so the mode it,
1: that I feel will get the least amount of play. Really, it yeah,
0: looks cool to me. So real quick, just to turn it down. For those who don't know, there's the traditional battle, uh, balloon battle mode, with the one caveat that you don't turn into a bomb. You just keep getting balloons when you lose. Um there's Bob on Blast, which I talked about last episode because I played where you throw bombs at people. There's Coin Runners where you try have the most coins. And if you attack someone, they lose coins. There's Shine Runner, which is uh, where one person's kind of the it person with a shine and you have to get them. And that, that's honestly a personal favorite of mine. And then there's this new one, which I think looks cool. I guess you disagree, called uh, Renegade Roundup. I don't, I don't disagree. You just said, you, you just said it's going to be one that gets the least play.
1: No, I think they added something else to the mode. That gets battle Mode. Oh, about the battle mo- mo- oh, you meant Battle Mode as a whole Cause, gets... Because they're, to- adding, I Renegade they're adding more content, fun. but I'd rather have more tracks mm-hmm. that you actually race on as opposed to more Battle Mode content. But, I see what you're saying. But the Renegade Roundup does look fun. It does. Right?
0: So, for those who don't haven't seen it, so Nintendo put out the trailer five minutes long, and they show maybe, what, 20 seconds of Renegade Roundup. But then Nintendo Minute did at PAX East a live episode, so to speak, a live audience taped, But they actually showed Renegade Roundup in full, and it actually looks really cool. So how it works is there's a group of Renegades and a group of Enforcers, which I think is just nintendo E's for cops and robbers. And um, the Renegades run around, and the Enforcers drive around, around, and the Enforcers are all given piranha plants that have stylish red police light hats, and it's up to them to have their plants bite the Renegades to send them into a jail. And these jails are kind of scattered about the stage, and... The only way to get people out of jail is if you're a fellow renegade, you have to drive on, on a switch under the floating jail. And when you go over the switch, the jail basically opens up and the renegade is free to leave. So that's kind of – it's kind of like a push and pull or sort of tag team. It's essentially freeze tag. It's essentially freeze tag except with designated spots. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get. Yeah. It. So it actually looks really fun. Um, it seems like it's really good for local multiplayer because you need so to kind of call how, out which jail so you're in. So I
1: guess in. the, the... – uh, the enforcers win once everybody's captured, or, and the and Renegades would, just have to survive for a certain amount so. of time. I guess.
0: Yeah, I would assume that's how it is. I don't know because even in Telltale, it spliced up the gameplay a bit. So like, we don't, we haven't actually seen a full game of Renegade Roundup, at least not officially. So I'm not quite sure. But e- either way, it seems it seems like it'd be less beneficial to play online than local. Unlike some other modes, like Shine Runner, you could do online. Corn, uh the coin one, you can do online. This one a little less so because there are multiple – from my understanding, there are multiple jails. So you have to kind of be like, hey, I'm in jail 3 or I'm in jail 1. So you kind of need to know where to go if you're trying to run away away from the enforcers while well, well, also – I mean
1: I'm assuming they provide a mini-map. There's always the well, map. Well, there, there is a
0: mini-map. It shows the jail number, but it does, I don't know if it shows who's in that jail at any one time. Like it'll be like – it'll show like jail number 3 is suddenly lit up, which means someone's in it. But if you have people in jail 2 or 3 and you want to get the better player out first, uh, you have, have a way of knowing from what I can tell. But, but I think more important than um, –
1: with just, the nintendo
0: app for your phone you can voice chat from a different room because the bluetooth connection will interfere with the phone connection and then your drug con won't work no but um yeah i guess ultimately they might have that functionality but but what i think maybe more important than reggae roundup or even the four other battle modes is that together deluxe is starting to kind of look like an actual true update to mario kart 8 opposed to just a haphazardly ported over thing. like we've waffled back and forth on this many times here on the show about whether deluxe is a good value for like people like us who already bought the wii u version and if you look at what's happening on switch as a whole right now with ports in general i think deluxe has kind of become the port poster child for lack of a better term like it's five battle modes that if you care about battles you can really sink a lot of time into because they're pretty different yeah i mean for you that's less important since you don't care about battle but you know Right, like
1: yeah, well, I yeah. mean, it's, it's another option for when we have the group here, and that's fine. Right,
0: and then for people that care more about battle, it has online for all five, so there's that. Um, it features, you know, we just kind of summarize just how much of a complete package this is. It has new items in those battle modes, like the boo and the feather. There's the two item system on the racing side, which gives some more well, the dynamics boo... to that. Oh, boo is on the racing yeah, side Boo's too. On the racing yeah, yeah, feathers oh, oh. only in battle.
1: Yeah, which is kind of a shame. But then again, I mean, there isn't too much of the use for the feather in. Regular racing and Popping I Popping is pointless in regular Well, I mean, racing. I guess they don't want you to completely skip over parts of the track and then that yeah. kind of breaks it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really a game breaker more than just adding two items would be. Um, they also, of course, have the new characters. They now support up to 12 people locally. If you happen to have that many people, you can do a LAN connection and play locally with 12 people. Mult- I think you have up to two people per Switch and up to switch six Switches connected. Or you could do, you know, any other number of configurations. Um, it's actually running at 1080p for two players for the first time. Uh, thir- 3 and 4 players are still at a lower resolution or a lower frame rate I think I think it's, yeah. it's 60 frames 10 AP for up to 2 people and it drops to 30 but that's still double what it was on Wii U and that's in dock mode to be clear outside dock mode we have no idea but that's another enhancement they made and of course it can literally be played anywhere for the first time it's actually a portable Mario Kart that is of the same caliber as any other Completely console replaces Mario
1: Kart, Mario Kart 7.
0: What? Yeah. Yeah, this is like your replacement Mario Kart 7. So, really, the only thing that's missing in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe are new tracks, but it does come with 48, which is a lot more than the typical 32 or 24 that other Mario Karts have had. Yeah. So, like, if you look at it that way, it's actually a really good value, but it gets tricky in that it is still, at the end of the day, a port. Like, it can be a poster child of what a port should be, but it is still a port. And what's really uncharacteristic about this is for Nintendo, this is a very fast turnaround for a port. Normally a port is like, you know, Twilight Princess HD came out a decade after Twilight Princess. Donkey Kong Country Returns for 3DS came out at least four or five years after the Wii one. This is three, is one month shy of the three-year anniversary of the Wii U original. It's not even a full three years. Hmm. So it seems quicker. And while the two of us have already said, and I think still feel this way that we're going to double dip and have no problem with it, right? Like, five Balmo's just kind of reconfirms in my mind that this is worthwhile
1: i um, just wasn't really done with Mario Kart eight <laughs> yeah but i don't want to have to play it on the wii u yeah nothing against the wii but i mean yeah, yeah already, i mean really using, using the switch it makes, it makes more sense just to have them all there yeah
0: i agree yeah, i agree and like, yeah, in, my like case, in my case so my case, wii u many years ago a long time ago, I remember got bricked basically like a software update bricked it and they erased all the game data when fixing it So I'm basically at square one with Mario Kart 8 anyway, so I might as well do it on Switch and have my Switch friends and the extra portability and all that. But So for us, it makes sense. Nintendo is, to their credit, putting real effort into Mario Kart 8 to make it more than just a port. But the fact that the next major release for the Switch is a port kind of embodies this bigger point of contention among Switch detractors and even some supporters that there's simply a lot of Switch games that are current and upcoming port or current and upcoming switch games are ports i guess is a better way of wording that uh many are great many come with enhancements you know tomorrow corp lo inferno came out and now has a two-player mode for the first time fast remix or rmx comes with nearly double the content uh all those nindies we talked about last episode the 60 plus nindies on the way and a ton of them have exclusive new switch features or content so there is new stuff in these games but just the fact that they're all ports is kind of been a hot topic online as of late. Like I feel like there's this growing argument online that like port begging is bad or why a certain game to come to the Switch is bad and only original games matter. And I don't know if I believe that. Like I don't know if there's anything inherently wrong with ports. whoop, smack the table. Oh you smack the table. Uh, no, I
1: don't think so. I mean just more games. I mean Yeah. And it just buys time for them to make other new games, but
0: yeah, and I mean, I get why people are complaining. I, mean, I get why it would bother them.
1: On, on top of the fact that, um, I mean, that, that's kind of an issue that... That's more of an issue for people that have other consoles, but like, kind of like you, like we can't assume that everyone has every console. Some people only have Nintendo consoles. So having these ports are literally like they're like, oh, cool, I, I'm not going to miss out after all because I'm just going to have the switch. Like, exactly. I mean, yeah, like, we, I didn't have access to a way to play Tower Fall for a while. I mean, I did get the PS3, but by that time... Um, I can think we're already like neck deep on Smash Brothers, so now that it's coming to the Switch, it's like, it's a good opportunity. Yeah. yeah, I mean, some
0: people are saying like, oh, I don't want Mario Kart Eight. I already had Mario Kart Eight, but like
1: Mario well, Kart a, a Eight of... to you
0: is, or Mario Kart Eight to us is the Tower Fall to someone else or a different example. Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I mean, remember, a lot of people did not get a Wii U, so yeah, yeah, like a it... lot of people haven't played Mario Kart Eight exactly. or just don't own it.
0: Exactly or like a different example so it was leaked recently that Batman the complete series from Telltale games is coming to switch that's cool and I have not played Batman the complete series by telltale games on on I could get it on iPhone but it seems more like a natural fit for the switch you know you play it on your TV you play it on go it's a nice big Ooh, cinematic I
1: screen touchscreen huh because I loved playing um, Telltale The Walking Dead on my iPad or iPhone just because the touch controls just felt very natural and intuitive mm-hmm. but I mean, if it's going to also be on TV. And they can so.
0: mimic, But they can mimic um, how uh, Tomorrow Corp is using the Joy-Con as a perfect yeah, simulator mean, of the Wii remote. It's crazy. Oh, no, no, well no that but that's works. the thing.
1: Like, with pointer controls, it wouldn't be nice. It's ah. definitely something you want oh, like, well, to swipe and So, tap. fine,
0: that's still a three-inch bigger screen than my phone. Like, it's still, you know, the Switch. So, in my case, I'm cool with it, even on the Switch as a portable thing only. But my point is, I maybe haven't played this Batman. Tons of other people have f- played Batman, but on Switch, it feels right for me. So yes, Batman is my is to me what Mario Kart may be to some other person or what Towerfall is to you or whatever it may be. And I think, um, I think people that are complaining about the ports just aren't really looking at it from the right angle. Like, okay, as a big Nintendo supporter, the two uh-huh. of us, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that we get every major, at least when it first comes out, right?
1: For the most part, yeah.
0: Yeah, so for Nintendo to double dip on a personal level for us maybe a bit of a waste opportunity right like even with new bow mode or whatever it's like oh man but that could be a new mario kart but the mm-hmm. thing
1: that argument can be made
0: what yes that argument mm-hmm. can be made but the thing is and what i think people need to consider when looking at a console lineup or in its life is the early games kind of lay a foundation and a groundwork to make an audience that can exist for crazy new games down the road to come out so like you may already have played mario kart eight to death You may not want to buy the Switch version. You don't need Deluxe, and you know what? So be it. That's fine. ARMS is right around the corner, and that's something new for you to play. Like, Amazon Italy actually just said it's probably a placeholder date, but they're claiming ARMS is coming out May 2nd. That is literally the week after Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. So if you don't want... Now, granted, I think it's a placeholder date. I doubt it'll come out that quickly. But if you don't want Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, that's fine. Three, four, five weeks later, you're playing ARMS. So you still have your new experience. Mario Kart's just filler, basically. It's, uh... Like, you could argue, actually, that... The more games get poured to Switch, the more it opens up possibilities for new games down the line. I mean, Wii U, we were kind of, you already said this, Wii U doesn't, didn't have a big audience, right? And the thing about that is that means games that were niche on Wii U because of the small install base, such as, let's say, on a Wonderful 101, only X percent of people that own a Wii U bought Wonderful 101. It was a very niche title. But if you give that same X percent, whatever that number is, and put it on Switch when it has, let's say, a bigger audience, that gives more raw sales and raw numbers for wonderful one one and then who knows maybe we'll get a wonderful one two one day if they report it and it does very well that's what ports allow for we didn't have that possibility on wii u because it hit a ceiling but more exposure means more sales means sequels or new ips from those developers who couldn't previously do it i think that's why nintendo's openly recruiting steam game developers and telling them just bring your steam games as it, it doesn't matter like noa's uh, indie liaison damon baker he, uh, who, by the way, just did a really good, uh, chat with, uh, not to promote another podcast, but did a really good chat with IGN's Nintendo voice chat the other day, or week, where he was talking about, like, the types of games they bring and stuff, but he was separately telling, uh, gamesindustry.biz that Switch is literally being pitched to indies as a complementary platform to Steam. They're saying, hey, do you have a great game on Steam? Do you want portable? Does it make sense on Switch? Does it have a multiplayer component? Bring it to Switch. There are a lot of
1: theme games that make sense on Yeah,
0: exactly. They're not even saying you have to have enhancements. They're just like, you know what? There's an audience here that you may not have access to, and we want you to bring it over.
1: Better to make it a portable. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and you're exposing it to a new audience, and because it's portable now, you can have a double-dip situation where fans might come back around and get it a second time. If you add enhancements, that's even better. So basically, to bring it back to Mario Kart 8, they're like, look how we're doing Mario Kart 8. Imagine you doing that with your indie game. It does well, let's say. Developers now motivated to bring its next, at that point, presumably original title to the Switch. And there you go, people complaining about no original titles. Thanks to the success of the port, you now have your original title.
1: And at the end of the day, this is all the business and people exactly. need to put food on the table. So, I mean, safer to go with ports first, wait for the install base to grow and go from there.
0: Exactly. So I guess, like, I didn't mean to go into a whole rant about port begging, but the, I guess my point is, like, Mario Kart 8, to to think this all spun out Mario Kart 8, but Mario Kart 8 is the example of how you get people onto a platform using a game that you may be familiar with, but they may not be, and then that opens the door not, to new stuff.
1: Not the exact same situation, but I even feel I feel like even with PS4, like with the exception of Horizon, um, I don't know. I feel like there's been a ton of ports lately. They're just recording yeah,
0: the like the HD remasters and all.
1: Yeah, that. they did. Um, I mean, they're doing Crash insanity trilogy
0: well that that's long enough that's all no no no, movie, no
1: yeah, yeah, yeah 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 well fine i guess if you want to go like last of us and then that one got like a port like less than two years after mm-hmm. i mean god of war also getting one Return and Ooh, those, well i mean those are really cool though but yeah I mean, ports are great. but yeah yeah that's the thing is like this
0: isn't a nintendo nintendo actually has been the odd one out in terms of remakes and remasters and ports mm-hmm. like sony's been doing this for years so it's more nintendo playing catch up with how the industry now treats games versus anything else like no one freaks out that Disney re-releases Cinderella seven times on seven different formats. You just want it on the latest, greatest thing with the enhancements that make sense for that platform. So that's all this is.
1: It's true. There's so many remakes Yeah. Disney movies. So,
0: I mean, I get it. Not everyone wants Mario Kart 8, 8 a second time, but don't buy it. It's fine. You will get something new. And it's not like them putting out Mario Kart 8 is going to suddenly make the next Mario Kart that much further off. If anything, it makes the wait feel less because you have something to play in the interim. Because I'm sure Mario Kart 9 is going to come out whenever it's going to come out, whether or not the port of 8 existed. It's a skeleton crew making this game. It's not like, you know, 9 has the real weight behind it. So it's a it's a placeholder. So think of it that way. But uh, while we're on the topic of controversies with the Switch lineup, uh, there is perhaps an even bigger one that's probably worth mentioning. And that is this whole thing about third-party game pricing on Switch. So I don't know how up-to-date on this you are or if you know about what's going on with this. But it's been kind of bubbling under the surface for a little bit. But for those who haven't been following the story, uh, the developers of Rhyme, which, for those who don't know, it's that really cool-looking kind of Ico-style puzzle platformer where you're stuck on an island, and it kind of has a Breath of the Wild graphic style to it, and you have to solve puzzles to get off the island. Uh, we've talked about it on the show before, but the developers of that game recently announced that the Switch version is not only coming out at a later time in the summer, opposed to day and date with other platforms in May, which, whatever, it started development later, I get it, but it will also cost $10 more than its counterparts on other platforms. Now, it's the same game. It's going to cost $10 more. So Switch owners get it both
1: late... Mm -hmm. Portability tax?
0: And, you know, yeah. Because they're getting it late, they're paying more for the privilege of getting it late, and it's basically a portability tax. And that's because the cartridge price is to blame, it turns out. So everyone freaked out. Everyone went to Tequila Works, which is a developer. It's like, what the hell? Like, why are you charging this much? This is unfair. You guys suck. Yada, yada, yada. And all Tequila Works did, not in their favor, was go... Well, the price is determined by development and publishing costs for each system, which says nothing. It literally says nothing. It's just like, well, we raised the price because reasons, instead of actually giving a reason, which they might have been, might have been able to handle better. But according to Eurogamer, who actually did some digging and talked to multiple developers, it is strictly, yes, a portability tax because Nintendo thought a portable ship cartridges, and cartridges cost more than discs. So to anyone who knows Nintendo history... What this, about
1: the digital version?
0: Well, that's what gets interesting. So for anyone that knows Nintendo history, first of all, this shouldn't be a surprise, right? Like the N64 story of losing third parties was literally because cartridges cost more than discs. That was the whole reason that support dropped off a cliff on N64 in the early days because companies didn't want to pay an arm and a leg for the cartridge. Now with Switch, I'll get to your digital thing in a sec, just sort of setting the table here. But with Switch, it's interesting because cartridge prices have obviously gone way down. First of all, they're tiny. So there's literally less plastic involved, but just the price of them has gone down. But I think the interesting is you may recall when those Switch developer documents leaked a couple weeks before Switch came out that we covered around the show, uh, there's stuff about like cartridge size. Turns out Nintendo's offer, offering a whole bunch of different cartridges to developers ranging from 1 gig to 32 gigs in size. And according to Eurogamer, pricing obviously runs low to high based on your storage capacity and it's based on how many you order. So if you buy more lower end cartridge or if you buy more higher end cartridges like in bulk it could actually be cheaper than buying fewer lower end cartridges the problem is if you're a niche developer or like an indie developer with a niche game you're not going to be buying a ton of cartridges and you're so you don't know what size you need you might need the high you might need the low so you either have to like optimize your game for it or take a bite the bullet with the cost but there, but then what gets interesting is the online thing to address your question Nintendo apparently wants third parties to match the price of their eShop and physical cartridges they're doing this so their retail partners stay happy because they don't want to annoy Best Buy by being like, hey, go and store everyone and get Rhyme for $40 or go to our eShop and get Rhyme for $30. Then Best Buy be like, why would we carry your product if you're taking money off our table? Like, what what's in it for us? So even if Tequila Works wanted to pass on the cartridge price to consumers, they – you know, on a physical copy and then they have the eShop copy be cheaper – they literally can't do it unless they take a hit on the revenue from the physical sales. The only way they can do it is if they bite the bullet on physical costs, which seems dumb, right? Like it seems kind of silly. Um, the solution you would think would be just go eShop only. Like if you're a dig- if you're a developer, just like only put it online, they could sell it for a competitive price. Like you say, okay, switch owners, download it for thirty bucks. Like you can on PS4, or Xbox One.
1: I know. Then you could just sell those little cards at Best Buy that a lot of digital only games use.
0: Yeah, but the, but the problem with that is it seems kind of silly to miss out on the possibility of having a sh- actual shelf space. I mean, yeah, you have a cartridge. I mean, a card hanging on a gift card rack. But how many parents are buying kids for their games by browsing the gift cards versus going to the shelf and seeing physical boxes? And well, they're, like, they're, in they're in front Zelda. of the
1: shelf, like right in front of the... Yeah, but I'm, the I Switch guarantee, game. except yeah, for yeah, gamers,
0: yeah. most people view those not as games. Like, if I'm a parent and I see Zelda and I see Mario Kart and I see Bomberman and I see all those, Street Fighter, and then... Couple di- down, I see a little card that says the word rhyme on it. I don't necessarily know that those are comparable or that those are worth the same value or, or the same money or of the same caliber or whatever it may be. It kind of devalues them. So, what I feel like Nintendo should honestly do, and also the other thing about that is that then some of their fans miss out on the reward of getting a physical copy. Like, it'd be like, oh, I've I supported rhyme from day one. I'm really excited for it. If I had an Xbox, I could have just, you know bought the box and had it on my shelf to display but because I have a Switch I can't do that that's weird so what, honestly what I think Nintendo should do is they should either subsidize or cover the price difference between a cartridge and a disc I mean think about it Nintendo chose the cartridge format the developer didn't choose the cartridge format the developer shouldn't have to decide between portraying themselves as in a bad light to fans or sucking up the price difference or only going digital just because Nintendo's vision of what a portable should be means cartridges
1: well, they're and they're not, right,
0: it does need cartridges, but that's Nintendo's fault. They're not
1: UMVs or whatever those yeah, well, are.
0: Um, yeah, UMVs probably were an arm and a leg too because they had that stupid plastic casing. But like, it's Nintendo that said, you know what, we're going to do cartridges and we're going to have our systems be cross-compatible with games for PS4 and Xbox One. It wasn't a developer, so it should not be on a developer to have to deal with this backlash about this. Because there's like, all these huge threads about it on like, NeoGAF and the IGN boards and all that about, oh man, why are third-party games more expensive? Like Multiple articles about it from multiple major publications. I don't think the Workshop workshop had to have any of the heat from this. But they're stuck with this because of Nintendo's choice. So it's up to Nintendo to make things right, I would argue. Especially because it further perpetuates the idea that things on the Switch are overpriced. I mean, a lot of people feel that things are overpriced. This is a very real thing. There's a UK research group called Harrison Interactive that did some surveying in the UK. They found that two-thirds of people that responded to their survey knew about the Switch, like the concept of the Switch, but... 40% of the people thought it was priced too high. Hmm. They have things like the Pro Controller coming in at, you know, 20 bucks more than his counterpart on Xbox or PlayStation. So to then have your games be exactly the same, sitting on the shelf just like the Xbox and PlayStation ones, but cost $10 more because of your cartridge fees, that seems a little weird. That seems like it's not going to help. I don't yeah. know. I ever, like it, Am I... Do you think Nintendo should be responsible for something like that? Like, it seems... What, what's your... Or is it, like, well, tough. That's just what you get into when you buy the system. Or support the system. This uh, seems it seems weird.
1: I think that might get fixed in time. I mean, we don't know. Um,
0: do, do you uh, think it's, like... I guess maybe it could be, like, a... Uh, it could be some, one of those things that's just as it becomes more commodi- commodified, the cartridges, then it'll go down.
1: I mean, I feel like we don't have any, like, triple-A third-party games to compare it to yet, because... Um... Otherwise, I feel we would be able to see, all right, the trip, the big AAA companies are able to, I guess, bite the bullet because to them they have the money to pay the difference between the and cartridges. And they buy and bulk more than
0: indies do. Like Ryan, yeah. I guarantee there's fewer cartridges made yeah. than uh, Skyrim will have.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, it seems like it's definitely just going to be an indie thing. Yeah. Which does seem like it would benefit them to bite the, but for them to subsidize it like you were saying because yeah. it, it would only really affect indies. Or they could just say, oh, we're only going to, Help. Make it part of the Nindy program. Make yeah. it like
0: the same way you can get a dev kit for Switch for 450 bucks because you're a Nindy. By the way, we have just normalized the term Nindy and are using it as if it's a real word, so good for us, I guess. Um, but yeah, if, if you can buy, if Nintendo can do that with dev kits, I don't know why they can't do that with cartridge prices or something. Like it's in their best and they have done so well with getting middleware out to these guys. They've done so well at being in communication with these guys, they've done so well with making indie games the most important third party component of the Switch in many ways, and yet this seems like a weird oversight. Yeah. And you know what? Intel might not care, they might be like, Screw it, we while I'm on the eShop, we want the highest margins for them and for us. So, yeah, we're not going to make the cartridges cheap because we're encouraging them to go eShop. But if an indie really wants to go that extra step, it's kind of weird that Intel not exactly penalizing them, but they're not helping by any means. Hmm. So, I don't know, we'll see. But yeah, that and um, that and the porting thing have been two kind of hot topic because the funny thing is the switch is such a minus it's odd little inconsistencies and the fact that it's kind of half-baked in some regards the switch is pretty well received zelda is pretty well received so people are finding these things to talk about because it's really nothing you know it's not like switches are blowing up in people's hands so they need to find other things to talk about so controversies and hot takes aside we were supposed to be talking about upcoming switch games and we kind of got diverted after mario kart um but but let's come let's come back around. The other biggie from these last two weeks actually happened this past Thursday at South by Southwest. And that is first details on Project Sonic twenty seventeen, which is now known as Sonic Forces. And you see it's called Sonic Forces because it's about fighting the forces of evil. Uh fast? Yes. And I was gonna say, and because it, I totally lost my train of thought halfway through, but it's because fighting the forces of evil and joining forces between modern and classic Sonic and some mysterious third character we don't yet know to do so. So there's double forces going on. And its fake revolution logo is really funny. Like with the like star. Like It looks yeah. like some sort of like, anti-communist. Like, yeah, Sonic <laughs> Forces! We're going to knock down the Berlin Wall. But um, yeah, the it, that's really why it's called Forces. Because you're fighting forces of evil with forces of good. But anyway, we previously knew the game was going to have both modern Sonic we pre- and uh, classic Sonic. And we now know what that actually means. So... We know what modern Sonic means, I should say. Uh, It looks like Forces is basically Generations two, in many ways. So basically, or Unleashed, or any of the I guess
1: Generations two without the the nostalgia. Because I mean, Generations two was literally just let's remake old levels in HD and then make them also go in the new modern Sonic. Yeah, but like they're
0: using the Hedgehog, they're using a successor to the Hedgehog engine, which, by the way, is a thing. But um, I believe that is the thing that powered all the Sonic generation. Yeah. Or yeah, I mean, I get it, Hedgehog because he's Sonic, but yeah. but yeah, it's it's using a second generation of that engine, so it's that same sort of run to the screen gameplay from our, Modern Sonic. It's moving away from Lost Worlds like Mario style planetary platforming. It's moving away from whatever Sonic Boom on Wii was like
1: well, Zelda I, mean, even... I don't
0: know what that would be called, but yeah, it's it's basically if a they do stick with the, the running
1: into the screen thing, I kind of hope they just full on embrace it because there were times when Modern Sonic games would. You do the running into the screen thing with the booth gameplay, but yeah. then at some point they would turn into a 2D platformer. Like you would just like make like a left turn, and then all of a sudden you're doing 2D platforming in the modern Sonic parts of it, and it made it feel kind of redundant because you had the classic Sonic levels that were only 2D. So you just I don't know. So you pretty much have 2D twice. Yeah, 2D twice, but one has weirder physics that are definitely more meant for the running into the screen as opposed to jumping left and right. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it was weird. That, that was something that I kind of that kind of bothered me a little when I played Sonic Generation. So I still really liked the game, but it just felt like, yep, these controls are definitely not meant for precise platforming. They're more for like quick reaction times when you're running.
0: So all we know at this point, the good news for you is all they've shown is the running to the screen. And all they've said is it's that sort of Sonic, with the Wisps of Sonic Colors coming back as a power-up wow, just
1: don't want let those go.
0: However, the Wisps are only apparently going to be used to power up his boost. You're not going to get other abilities, at least not in the way you did in Colors, where it was like, I'm a drill now, like, that's like not, din- which was fun, but that's not a
1: thing. But they don't even need the Wisps to justify this. They could just give them...
0: It's their new Chows. Just uh, let them have them. Or however you say it, Chao. Apparently it's pronounced... I thought it was Chows. Apparently it's Chao, which is like... Someone just doesn't know how to read the word Chao, I feel like. But I've seen multiple references to Chao in a more official capacity than I've seen it references Chao, so. Well,
1: I'm still going to call them Chao.
0: Me too, but – or maybe, maybe they just didn't understand that it's pronounced Chao and it was like a Japanese. I don't remember. I just saw someone official say Chao, and I'm like, no, 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 no. But um, but yeah, it's uh, – yeah, so I guess the Wisps are back in some way, and that's really all I mean, we know. I mean, nothing
1: wrong with them, but they, they felt – I mean, they were fine in Sonic Cutters because the whole game revolved around them. Yep. And then in the Sonic Boom, is like, oh, they're here too in another planet? That just kind of seems out of place. And then it's like, all right, they're still here. Like, and, and They're yeah. from Planet Wisp. I mean, or, I don't know. It just kind of takes me out Sonic's of it.
0: Sonic's allowed to travel between planets, but the Wisps are not. You are a Wispist. I just want you to know you are a Wispist, and you should feel bad.
1: It just seems weird. Do you that. want them
0: to build a wall between the Wisp and the, so- the Hedgehogs? No, what just give
1: me a reason why Wisp are all over the universe now, all of a sudden, when before it's like they were exclusive only to Planet Wisp. Like the, okay, I'll give you that. You a, know what happened? Just give me some sort of in explanation.
0: They farmed or harvested or whatever the Chows a little too much. They went extinct, and now they're importing a new species to fill their void, and that species is the Wisp. The Wisp have been forced into slavery by the hedgehogians and the whatever knuckles is and echna and echidna echidna or whatever and now the wisps are suffering for it and this game sonic forces is actually about the rising up of the forces of the wisps and how they are controlling these giant sentient robots which are destroying sonic and it's up to sonic and co to squash the revolution so it's actually the opposite of what sega's pitching it as Hmm. and that's that's my much more interesting sonic forces like i'm looking forward to the game it looks really good but it does kind of seem like it's almost like they're doing a best of of the 3D sonics up to this point, minus the parkour of Lost World. Uh, what we haven't actually seen is what classic Sonic will be like in any way, shape, or form. So I imagine it's going to be exactly what you'd expect. I imagine it's going to be like the 2D Sonic stages with classic Sonic and Generations versus the weird physics you're describing. But they do, if they want, actually have some wiggle room to get creative with 2D Sonic this time around. Like. Sonic Mania is only out a few months before uh, Sonic Forces. Sonic Mania actually just got delayed. It was going to be in spring, now it's in summer, and Forces is holiday. So, granted, you're, it's weird if Sega's like, buy both our games, but it's also weird if they make the gameplay the same on both. So, there's some potential for them to get creative with the uh, secondary classic Sonic levels. What I'm really curious about, though, is what they're doing with this third gameplay mode. Who is it? What is it? Why is it a secret? The last time we saw a third mode, if I remember correctly, was Werewolf Sonic in Unleashed. So is it going to be something like that? Is it going to be something more like maybe one of the other types of characters in Sonic Adventure? I I don't know. We literally know nothing. But they're cherry picking features like wisps and you know going back to the run into screen gameplay. I imagine they're going to
1: people seem to like.
0: Yeah, I imagine they're going to plop something out of a past Sonic and make it that third mode. That shit. I mean what you play more Sonic than I have. Which of which of all those werewolf Sonic, Sonic Heroes, Sonic Colors, Sonic Adventure, which is like other gameplay modes or actually like the best. Which one, if they were a pluck one, would you actually want to see? Because I think that's what they're gonna do. Well I know it's kind of a tough question to throw at you like that with no warning, but
1: I don't know. I mean if assuming the third character is another Sonic, that would give us another kind of gameplay. Um
0: Sonic Boom Sonic and then it's weird grappling action.
1: I mean his show is <laughs> Doing pretty well and they got renewed for another season. So his uh, games are not,
0: but yes, he's yeah.
1: So. But I mean, it's not like Red Button is going to be developing the game this time. It's yeah, going to be they,
0: yeah, they're never touching Sonic. again. It's, it's going to be actually.
1: Sega proper. So maybe they could be like, all right, we'll give this little open worldish mini sandbox thing a try, but with modern Sonic, or I mean, with boom boom Sonic, with
0: with hand, hand, uh, handkerchief Sonic,
1: or I mean, they could if they really want to do um, modern Sonicish platforming, they could just revisit um 2000 sonic sonic adventure sonic because he still uh. looks pretty different from modern sonic like 2000 sonic has the crazy shoes that look like they're filled with all this tech and he has like that bouncing wristband and his controls are definitely a lot different from modern sonic's boom mechanic that's true that's true so i'd that, be okay so, with so the sonic so that could adventure work sonic i mean
0: and that would kind of fit my whole fake narrative that's I mean, modern sonic is sonics like, squashing the chow rebellion or the whistle. i mean line. modern
1: sonic is like you're pretty much driving a like a really fast car, it's almost yeah. like a it's almost like a reflex time. It's a reflex racing game.
0: It's a it's a it's a 3D runner, before runners were yeah, genre. which is really
1: cool. Like I like that gameplay. But mm, 2000 Sonic, that one was a little bit of both, and I feel like it meshed a little better. I mean, at least I, even revisiting Current... even even revisiting Sonic Adventure, I still enjoyed all the Sonic levels, which were definitely a nice mix of both like slow platforming. Mm-hmm towards the screen but there was some running little loopy loops that you actually don't really ever do anything when he's running super fast which is you what Sonic does yeah. yeah so it's like
0: it's yeah. interesting because if you think about it, what sonic adventure was was sonic trying to emulate the successful evolution mario from mario world to mario 64. like you had this you go left right and you had oh you have this open world with some of the same mechanics So with Adventure and Adventure 2 Battle, they were like, hey, you had this left to right running, so let's have him do that, but in a more open world, which means occasionally you're doing new things. Just like with Mario, oh, you can now climb a tree, or jump on a building, or find a thing in a nook or a cranny, or whatever. And then they perhaps took that a little too far, which is how we ended up with some odd Sonic games. So then they recoiled by going all the way back to exactly what the original Sonic was, and just turning it on its Z-axis. Kinda. Axis, I mean. So, Yeah. I guess if they were to do Adventure Sonic, it would be different enough because it is, like, that third slice of Sonic. Yeah. Third type of Sonic. And then the Sonic Forces name is more... I guess as far
1: as, like, Sonic gives us some history, but... Yeah. yeah. And i do mean, okay with that, yeah. I just don't want Werewolf Sonic. And, I mean, this time they're making games... I mean, they're going to be making levels from the ground up without any... I mean, song Generation status where... Yeah. Oh, my God. planned of whistle such a long level. I don't know why they made it so long is
0: this why you hate the Wisps is it all coming out now is this why you're a Wispist no I mean I, like every, I really
1: like Sonic Colors but for some reason the the level Planet Wisp in Sonic Generations was just too long actually the levels just kind of got progressively longer not even in the in the good way but I mean overall mm-hmm. it's still fine Think well
0: about... it'll be out this holiday for us to experience I'm sure at E3 we're gonna learn what the third Sonic or what the third character is hmm. were you gonna say something I feel like I just no. cut it short oh okay but um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm intrigued. The game looks good. Like graphically, it looks really good. So I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens with it. And uh, yeah. Well, I there's mean, no...
1: will it look that good on the Switch?
0: Probably. Maybe not. Okay, maybe really? not. I feel like the art style it's isn't it, that. Comp- it's
1: possible. Flexed. I mean, they could easily like only have like certain things render. Because I mean, you can't really. The draw distance is never really that far in these kind of Sonic games. Because you have all these buildings and things blocking and, you and hills that you go up. It's almost like a 2D fighting game, like a a 3D fighting game like Street Fighter, yeah. Like they could have looked super nice and pretty just because you're only rendering two characters in the background and that's it.
0: Yeah, so I I think it could come close. I mean, if you look at like Sonic Colors or Sonic Lost World on the underpowered systems they were on, they looked really good. Yeah. Like it didn't feel. I mean, granted, it didn't have the dynamic lighting and whatnot of Sonic Generations, or like you really feel like you're running on Mediterranean coast. But does Sonic really need to feel like he's running on Mediterranean coast? Probably not. So it works out. Like I don't think it's. I think it's like a, a Nintendo situation where the art style can trump any sort of actual um, raw graphic yeah, power. It's kind of the situation
1: created. with Snake Pass. Like I was watching the comparisons of the PS4 version versus the, the Switch uh-huh. version. And I guess you just lose some of the, the shading and the translucent look of the graphic. It, it definitely looks a lot prettier on the, on the other consoles. But, yeah. but as you're playing, I mean, you kind of forget about that stuff.
0: Here's what's funny. I've only watched footage of Snake Pass on Switch i've never oh. seen footage of it elsewhere and if i have i haven't realized it's elsewhere and i'm from the start to be like yeah it looks cool looks good so i've never been like oh it doesn't look as good because i have no comparison point uh, unless i've secretly been watching the wrong videos and i'm gonna get the game and be like, where where's the water well now?
1: from what then, i know the regular trailers of snake path have only showed like pc or ps4 gameplay oh but
0: i watched the switch trailer specifically mm. oh i did watch the how to play where they explain how the slithering works yeah I guess that I'm gonna be disappointed, or not? Yeah, because I, I remember, cause I remember
1: thinking even on the Switch trailer, um, if it was the Switch version, but even the frame rate is like a lot lower. Oh, really? Like the PS4 version runs, I think, at sixty, and the Switch one is at thirty. So it just hmm. you could definitely tell a difference. I mean, I should go watch them after this. Now I'm curious. I'm still getting I, it. I was definitely a little disappointed just because I saw the other footage first. And I'm like, right. oh, it looks so pretty and it looks so smooth because you're slithering around, but then yeah. you go to the Switch version, like, oh wow, that I mean, bad, huh? I mean, I guess it's like the. The cost of getting it on portable, which I mean, thirty frames per second is perfectly fine, but it's just hard. Like after seeing it in one way first, I, yeah, yeah, I need to
0: go rewatch the videos. I'm starting to worry. I've been watching the videos this whole time, and I'm gonna buy it on the 28th and be like, "What?" Like, I'm still looking forward. I think the gameplay idea is really cool. So yeah, we'll it's definitely really
1: unique. I mean, yeah, yeah.
0: and we'll for sure yeah. in the episode sometime after that, an episode or two from now, we'll for sure have impressions and we could talk about. When did that come out again? The graphics, uh, like the, the 28th of last March, last week or of something. March. Yeah, so. I think it comes out before our next episode, but it's so close that we're probably gonna bump it. Impressions to the episode after, like mid-April. But uh, yeah, now you got me a little paranoid. So maybe Sonic won't be quite as pretty. Who knows? I'm holding out hope that it's it's the the art style will work in Sonic's favor. But
1: yeah, I think um I forgot where I read this, but essentially people were discovering that the Switch, even though could run Unreal Engine, I think four is it? Yeah, um, it's the mid it, it's, yeah it's pretty much like medium, and everywhere else is just high. So yeah. You're whatever you're losing with the anti-80 thing and the blah, blah, blah.
0: That, to me, is what's so funny about the fact that Wii U didn't have so, Unreal Engine So it could still
1: run it, which is great. It loses effects. Yeah.
0: But that's why I find so funny about what happened with Wii U with Unreal Engine 4. Like, oh, like we're not officially supporting it. Some developers are pouring it over themselves, but it's really hard. to. It doesn't work. And it's like, <laughs> dude, Unreal Engine 4 was designed to work on everything from a smartphone to a high-end gaming PC. So you just have different tiers. Like, the medium tier is what Switch runs. The Wii U probably would have been medium as well, maybe low. But it could run. It just wouldn't be quite as pretty. When it wouldn't have the same shadow effects or the same, translu- same translucencies or whatever. So the whole thing like, oh, Unreal doesn't, like the Wii U can't run Unreal. Yes, it can. It just can't run your ideal vision of Unreal. And I'm sure Switch is kind of in the same boat based on this conversation. So we'll see. We will see. But there, there's no real easy way to transition without a pun into our next topic. So I'm just going to say it. Let's switch from talking about games to talking about hardware. Okay. If we had the snap sound, that would be a great time to use it. Well, that's a clap. Close enough. Uh, you know the Lincoln Park's new song has the snap, has the switch click in it. Yes, like, because you showed it to me before the it before we recorded. I guess this is more as a throwing it out there. I, to I don't know why why you asked me that. Well, I, okay, because there are other people, imaginary people on the other end of this microphone. I should address
1: the question to them then. Well, you're or, right. I, sh- I probably should have looked. At or one of your patented. Oh, fun
0: fact. Fun fact, everyone. Fun fact, everyone. By Toll coincidence, I think it's lincoln park's brand new song called bow symphony about 37 seconds in does the exact same snap click sound effect as the switch only slightly higher pitch and with some reverb and i think it's just by chance that they have the exact same sound effect but there you it's go kind of funny there we go
1: did you know that um yes because i think i saw your tweet about it <laughs> and, and also then... i showed it to you right before we record. Yeah. yeah
0: anyway switch <laughs> let's switch to harbor for real now um so it's been two weeks since launch and I think that's going to have some time to really get to know our systems. I'm personally happy to report that I have, in fact, gotten a working dock now. Uh, it was a bit of a saga to get there. For people that listened to the last episode, you may know that my dock came broken out of the box. There's no signal output to any TV. I tried, what, three TVs, four HDMI cables, two docks, and it was definitely the dock. So I called Nintendo, and they always had this kind of a bizarre story. So I called Nintendo. Guy on the other end was, like, super casual, super friendly. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just send you a new dog. Like, you can even keep your current doc. Like, make it. A, if you know an artist, have them like decorate it as an art piece. Like, put it on your mantle. Or like, this is this is verbatim. You could just throw it out a window. Actually, wait, no, don't throw it out a window. I'm not allowed to tell you to do that. <laughs> I'm like, what <laughs> is happening? Like, this suddenly is a Nintendo is gonna. Yeah, there's they're, someone
1: they're, listening. They're, to yeah, they're gonna, they're it. listening to it. And they're, all right, let's go through all the recordings of our employees. Now and here's why <laughs> I think he's able to say
0: that. You know, whenever you get a phone call like that, or go on the on a uh, phone call like that, it's always like your recor- Your call may be recorded. No message like that with Nintendo hmm. both times I talked to them, so uh, but yeah, he told me to throw out a window. So if I'm going down the freeway and I toss it out the window, well, I can't now because I didn't get to keep the second dock, but if I toss it out the window and hit someone, not my problem, not my fault, but yeah, so I was like, Cool, they're gonna send me a dock. Two days later, I get a call from his manager who is like, Hey, um, I hope we, you didn't throw it out a window, yeah, I hope you kept it in the window. Uh, we, You know why he said throw it out the window? He's inspired by that Wii Sports take a break screen with the controller on the table on the open window which I always thought was some sort of weird like, stop playing, go kill yourself because like, why would the controller stay behind but the window be open and there's no door? It doesn't make sense. Anyway, you get a call from Andrew two days later and they actually need the doc back because they want to like kind of troubleshoot it and they, she says it could take two or three weeks. I'm like, uh, whatever. At least I could play on the handheld. Send it in. Three business days later, it's back in my house. Fixed. I think it's actually a replacement dock, like the the paperwork made it seem like they still replaced it. They just wanted my old one back first for whatever reason. So, hmm. moral of the story is, once hmm. once Nintendo
1: no, you have to pay ninety bucks if you want another dock. Yeah, exactly. Even but, if it's broken.
0: Yeah, but moral of the story is that's actually partly why they took my dock back. Is she first said it was so they could better diagnose the problem because it's a launch unit, but she went on to say also we literally don't have docks. Like, you remember that there's a whole thing in between our podcast episodes where it's like, is Nintendo discontinuing the dock already? And it's like, no, they just sold out. So they didn't even have A to supply me with. So, But, uh, yeah, three business days later I had it back. So the moral story is when they don't encourage you to use your dock as a weapon or to put it, turn it into an art piece, they are very fast at fixing your problems. I mean, three business days, that's really kind of crazy like that they stay overnight aired it or so the sticker said even though it was here in la but like that that's impressive so props to nintendo for taking care of my problems so quickly um and i have a dock and it's great to play the switch on the tv and it looks really nice and zelda looks even better than it did on the handheld with that extra detail and that extra resolution um but yeah now that i have my full switch set up and i'm happily using mine and you're happily playing yours where do we stand with the switch? Like, is there anything about the hardware we didn't have two weeks ago that we can now, or ex- say two weeks ago that we can now describe? Like for me, I finally got to try the controller grip for prolonged use. And I'm honestly shocked at how comfortable it is. I did not think I thought I would have to get pro control. I've heard everyone be like, Oh, it's kind of cramped. It's kind of weird. I've had zero issue playing. You yeah, have the perfect
1: knife hands for it.
0: I do. I have small hands. Me and our present have something in common. We have small hands, but, uh, yeah, I have small hands, so it worked great for me. Was like Some people have been complaining, oh, I have to reach far to press plus or minus at the top of the Joy-Cons when in the grip. My small hands don't mind. I've had literally no issue, no cramping, no uncomfortableness, no awkwardness, nothing. It's been great. So I, I didn't expect that. I don't know if I'm ever going to get a Pro Controller now, but is there anything you've, like any discoveries you've made in the last two weeks that have really been like, wow, this is not what I thought or other people implied it would be?
1: that's a very specific question um yes yeah. it is because i'm teeing
0: you up for something but mine was legit
1: no uh, well i mean i haven't really been using much of the the grip i find myself just using the pro controller or right. the the joy-con separate which both are just really comfy and i definitely can't go to grip after using the pro controller so.
0: i will say by the way i tee you you did not take my tee up correctly i was teeing you up to talk about the kickstand i know oh you just subverted or sub yeah yeah you're the worst i do what i, I want oh yeah what a rebel what a Rebel. First, you enslave the wisps, and that, or not. First, you're wisps, and now this. Um, what well, I was gonna say, actually, is one cool thing that I feel like we should, I want to call out at least, is man, syncing controllers isn't easy. I knew how it would work. We, I think we even said how it worked here on the show, where you just slide them in and it sinks. It works perfectly every time. The problem is once they're synced, the order of controllers and how you change the order is like the most convoluted. Backwards. Yeah, we,
1: we yesterday we actually had a few people where we were playing Bomberman, and when we I guess I forgot we were playing right beforehand. Oh, they were playing Fast Racing Neo, but they were using the grip. So they were using two Joy-Cons as one controller. And then when we switched over to Bomberman, we're like, okay, when you get to the character select screen, we'll just like press A on our controllers, go split them up. So we had like six people. And some of them weren't working right because they were still they still thought that they were upright as yes. opposed to sideways. So we had to go to the menu and someone accidentally pressed A. So then still thought it was upright you actually have to press the shoulder buttons. so we're just all right don't press anything but the shoulder buttons and i mean it took some figuring out but we pretty much have to desync them every single time we want to play a different game that uses a different configuration
0: which is funny because when you do single player the system is so smart and i i praised it for this last episode the system's so smart about like oh, you switched to this control scheme. Here's a little icon on the menu screen showing you how you're holding it currently to confirm that's what you're doing. Or, oh, it makes yeah, a little just, Pretty much every time
1: everything. you change your controllers or remove something, it always tells you, all right, press L and R on whatever configuration you're using to make sure it works, which is fine. I mean, yeah. that way it works. But but
0: yeah, it's a little messy when you have more than two Joy-Cons.
1: Yeah, but I mean, as far as the kickstand thing you were alluding to earlier... Yeah, you you, um, you have a vendetta. Well, it's not really a against, vendetta. You have a
0: vendetta against people who have vendettas against the kickstand. Well, I mean, you have a vendetta, I don't know. A vendetta, I, I, vendetta. I mean, I guess
1: I've <laughs> only heard things that, like, oh, the kickstand is flimsy, the kickstand sucks. It, I mean, you I heard it, it a, from me two weeks ago. So. I mean, that it doesn't work, like, it falls over super easily with the slightest touch. Mm. I mean, and I'm completely ignoring the, the CNET video. I mean, this, yeah,
0: the infomercial that we yeah. covered last so, of. So,
1: I mean, so the other. Yeah, like a few days ago, I'm like, oh, I just want to see how sturdy it is because I've never really had a reason to use a kickstand. So on, I guess, a coffee table that we have in the living room area, I just propped up in the kickstand and just laid it down. Even kind of dropped it from like, like a few inches up, and then it just always landed fine. Didn't fall over. I pushed it in every single corner, and applied as much pressure as I needed. I mean, I get no, bleh, my bad. I'm tripping over my own words. And it's so excited. It, it, or you're it, so like it, emotional. And I just this. kept pressing the top corners. <laughs> until it would fall over but on one end it just started spinning around without falling over and on the other end it would start tilting over more and more and more up until the point where you obviously know it's going to fall because it's already passing like a 90 degree angle and you let go and it, nothing happened and then i even tried shaking the table like probably more than any earthquake ever would <laughs> I, tilted until the ta- the I tilted the big one i tilted the table up like probably like 45 degrees and still didn't fall switched to, i pretty much tilted put it on as unlevel as a you surface did, I could find.
0: So you did your own version of the CNET, infamous CNET, commercial, except, the, except
1: they couldn't get it to fall. So there you have it. And the only... The kickstand
0: vendettas are all lies.
1: The only the only place they wouldn't work no matter what was was um, when I tried to put it on a cushion, even a flat cushion like uh, like a sofa cushion. Yeah. Like it just, I guess it just absorbs it too well and it just doesn't stand. I had the exact same problem with mine. yeah, I mean, in general though, like the kickstand just, I mean, it just works. I mean... I guess it's not the best kickstand. It'd probably be better, or even sturdier in the middle, but it's definitely sturdy enough for anything you're ever gonna need it. I mean, the only reason you would probably want something else is if you want to charge it and play it at the same time. But I feel I don't know. You could use a game, uh, the Wii U gamepad
0: stand to do that. Yeah. Just slot the Switch on it. Oh yeah. That's I one thing it. I really like about the hardware that I didn't really anticipate doing much is weird configurations of playing, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase. Like I'll like put it in the kickstand and sort of maybe be sideways holding the Joy-Con or holding, like, the, the grip or something like that, or, like, oh, having yeah. the two Joy-Cons in my hands and weird angles. Like, the the free the freedom of being able to hold it differently than um, you have to with a standard fused Yeah, and the that is really space. nice,
1: especially, like, I like to just play as I'm going to sleep. Like, my 3DS always do my one level of Donkey Kong Country 2 before I go to sleep.
0: I had no idea you did that. That's interesting.
1: Well, before it would be rhythm. Well, it's always some 3DS game. <laughs> And with the Switch, I was, like, first playing it sideways. It's, like, in bed with my head on the pillow. But I'm like, oh, this is... I'm holding my arms out too wide. So I just put the Joy-Cons, put one hand under the pillow, the other one pretty much just resting on the side of the bed, and so just so the you're screen sideways. you're under
0: the pillow? Like, you're moving the stick and whatnot yeah. under your head, under the pillow? Well, I mean, I
1: put my arm under the pillow. Uh, so I mean, I get the hand sticking out. Yeah. But, yeah, basically, like, my hands are completely separate, just super comfortable. It's, like, and it's, the screen just right in front of your face. Like, it's more
0: freedom than even the Wii Remote Nunchuck gave because they had a tether. tether yeah. yeah. Now, your, your kickstand thing actually brings up something kind of funny, and that's uh, kind of the funny, funny thing about the hardware complaints in general, I guess, which we covered pretty in-depth last episode, but, you know, we, we talked about, like, the Joy-Con connectivity issues and the dock scratching the system as you slot in and out and all that, but now that Switches are, like, out in the world in mass, uh, these aren't as big of issues as perhaps we thought. They're less prevalent than I think most people thought. I mean, I've
1: docked thought. and undocked my Switch so many times, and I've... Have no scratch on it with the leg, yeah, not even a little tiny one. Well, that
0: that one's weird because, like, I think what happened with the dock is some of them in shipping or being packaged into the switches got bent slightly, so they weren't completely flat to begin with. So, as you slide it in, there's actually a bit of a curve on the dock because it's pretty flimsy in the front, yeah, honestly. So, like, it pushes in a little and that causes the scratch. I see that, but. But the thing is, and, like, so some people have those problems legitimately, and I know for a fact there are some people with the Joy-Con issues, and, of course, Intel put out that now infamous list of don't play it next to an aquarium, don't play it next to a hard drive, don't play it next to anything that's electronic in any way, shape, or form, so good luck playing it on TV. Just don't play it, basically. Like, they put that out, and that was kind of funny and a little ridiculous, but... It seems like the number of problems are nowhere near the critical mass that everyone was worried they yeah, would be. Yeah,
1: something about the de-thinking, I haven't experienced that once. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: It's it's, it's weird because, yeah. like, for for the people that have these issues, because they are real, it's inexcusable in to let these things slip through. But the number of issues is nowhere near the, like, antenna gate level of attention people were worried they were going to have. It's nowhere near, like, everyone's like, oh, we're all going to get switches and the Joy-Con just won't work. And it's like, nope, they're mostly working in most situations. Like, In fact, actually, when I was chatting with the first Nintendo rep, the guy that told me to throw my dock out the window, see, when they tell you to throw your dock out the window, you already know they're going to be a little more laid back and a little more loose with information. So I used that opportunity to ask him, how's launch going? Like, you guys, is this screen issue I'm having in common? Is there, like, a lot of calls? Just out curiosity. Like, I was just like, you know, just making a conversation, asking out of curiosity. And he told me, which I surprised he honestly told me, the launch is going really well, and it's oddly quiet at Nintendo customer service. They expected phones to be ringing off the hook, and it's been—they expected a rush, they expected craziness, and it's been none of that. He's like, "It's actually kind of boring this week." I think that's the word he used. He's like, "I was uh. ex- like, I was expecting mayhem, and I'm just kind of hanging out." And he, he went on to say, like, "I can't give you hard, like specifically how many people have your screen issue, how many people have this issue, but like overall, a lot calmer than you would think." So that tells me. That perhaps we, we, as in the collective internet, blew it a little out of proportion. I think it's also beneficial that Nintendo had Reggie directly answer questions about all these issues in a head, uh, like head on in an interview with Time. So, to be fair, his answers were mostly you know, we're looking into it, we're aware of it, we're asking customers for feedback on it. But it's nice that they're just putting out a blanket PR statement that's like, yeah, the Joy-Con, just don't keep it near an aquarium. The fact that they actually had the president of Nintendo America directly address each single one when they were brought to his attention and go into a little detail, even if it was kind of vague, which I realize is contradictory, but what I mean is like, he wasn't just like, we're, we know, we're looking into it. He was like, yeah, like it's interesting because we haven't seen the issue when we demo them at, at our events, but we want everyone to reach out if they have an issue. Like going into that sort of depth was actually kind of Nice. Like to Intel's Credit, they are handling it well in that regard. They shouldn't have been problems in the first place, but at least like their customer service is on top of it. And what I went through with Town Customer Service for the screen issue is exactly what Reggie was describing. He said multiple times that you know they're trying to gather as much information. It's because it's launched; they don't have all the information they need. They're going to work with each customer and figure out the problem. And sure enough, that's what happened when they called me back with, about the doc. They're like, "Hey, we want to work through this better. Can you give us the doc and we'll go from there?" So. Basically, I think the takeaway for all the Switch ridiculousness is Nintendo may have made some bad decisions up front. Uh, things like, you know, using a weaker Bluetooth, uh, not having soft rubber in the dock just in case it does bend, but they are legitimately doing a pretty good job of resolving the issues now. So they shouldn't have been issues in the first place, but they are, and now they're doing what they do, which is having great customer service. So I might be a little biased because I got my dock back in three days, but. I, I got handed them. Like they, A lot of companies would kind of... They didn't go... They didn't pull on an Apple and say, you're holding your phone wrong. They're actually like trying to address the issues individually as people bring them to them, which is nice. So props to them for that, I guess. And perhaps the nicest thing of all this is that because there's no real issues, because there are no real problems, the lack of any real negativity around Switch isn't really there. That means the hype is still there. That means, more importantly, the sales are still there. Hey, boy, are those sales there. Like... The Switch is doing pretty well for itself, and watch me smoothly glide into a Jason sales corner with that one. So um, Nintendo's shying away from putting out any hard numbers, probably until their next financial briefing, which is end of April. But what they have confirmed is that the Switch is already breaking all sorts of sales records. So in the US and Europe, the Switch is now the most successful launch weekend of any Nintendo console ever. In the US, they're saying it's the best uh, first five days their systems have ever had. In Europe, all we know so far is it's the best two-day record. Um, but within Europe, we already know some of those numbers are really insane. Like in in Spain specifically, the Switch was the most successful console launch, period. Any company. So that's a good sign, right? And in tandem with that, we know that Breath of the Wild has also become the fastest-selling launch tile in both the U.S. and Europe. It passed Super Mario 64 here in the U.S., Wii Sports doesn't count because it was bundled with the Wii, but over in Europe where it was not bundled, Wii Sports is previously Nintendo's bestseller, and it's currently been passed by Zelda as well, after only two days. Hmm. So, Switch is doing well. Over in Japan, Switch actually went through 95% of its initial launch stock, which means it sold an estimated 330,000 units. Uh, to put that in perspective, that's ahead of the first numbers for the Wii U, which is a very good sign, of course, and surprisingly, also ahead of the PS4, in that same time span so in the first week of the PS4 it sold 320 something I believe and Wii use at three, or sorry Switch is at 330 something already so that's pretty good so using all this data we don't have hard numbers but using all this data an analytics firm which is appropriately enough called SuperData um, did some number crunching and they are estimating that Switch worldwide sales have now passed 1.5 million units more impressively Breath of the Wild according to their estimates which again aren't official but their estimates Breath of the Wild has sold 1.34 million, meaning that 89% of Switch owners bought Breath of the Wild, which is perhaps the highest attach rate I've ever heard of for a game. Like, that's crazy. In Japan, this is an actual number.
1: 100%.
0: No, in Japan, so apparently Twilight Princess is something like 40% of Wii owners in Japan bought Twilight Princess with the game. In Japan alone, uh, Breath of the Wild is at like 60-something. And that's in the country where Zelda does worse than in other regions. So... If it can double its attach rate, that that's pretty good. And it's not just Zelda, either. Super Bomberman R, in Japan, had the best opening of any game in the Bomberman franchise in the past 20 years. The last game of Bomberman that did as well as Super Bomberman, Bomberman R did in its initial week was Bomberman Land on PlayStation 1. So, even some third parties are seeing some success off the Switch. Oh, and just a PSA for those who have Bomberman, um, if you don't already know, there's an update with fixes for online and fixes for control lag, and you can download it for free. Just I think your Switch probably automatically download it, but if not, just boot up the game and it'll offer it to you. And it it does help. I played it online after, and it actually is better. So, huh. yeah. It was bad before. I don't know if we really touched on this last episode, but this I've not really touched
1: bad online, before. and we have played a ton of local, and I never noticed any other control issues, because apparently there were some other control issues when you play offline. Specifically, people were saying that, they had a hard time rounding corners and... Yeah, I ran into and, that. And and the patch note they they addressed that, but I never had that problem. I ran into and, that. I just yeah.
0: forgot to mention it last episode, but I definitely ran into that. I, it's interesting because I ran into that more when playing with the Joy-Cons detached. Or not detached. When I play when I played the Joy-Cons in handheld mode, I noticed the rounding issue more than when I put the kickstand out and used them in my hands independently. So I thought it was me, not the game, so I didn't really bring it up on the podcast last time. But yes, that was a thing I had. So it it, so it wasn't horrible, you, but I would sometimes yeah. cut short or something. I was like, oh, maybe I'm just not used to playing with the giant handheld yet, because that's the first thing I played on my Switch. So,
1: yeah.
0: but anyway, back to the numbers.
1: Whatever helps, I guess.
0: Yeah. Right. Back to numbers, though. Pretty great start for Switch, right? Like that's definitely. It's like I made this comparison before, but seeing Nintendo do this well, even if these sales numbers aren't official estimates and all, just kind of weird Nintendo hearsay, where it's like it's the best we have, but we won't tell you what the best means. Like even. With all that, it is kind of like seeing your favorite sports team win a championship. Like, it's kind of cool. Although, I guess in this case it's not really a championship. It's more like seeing your favorite team make it into the semifinal after five years of losing, and now they have a shot at the championship again. So it's like that rush of like, oh, we made it it past normal season, yeah. But um, the reason I say that specifically is because while these numbers are great and a good start for Nintendo, they don't convey any sort of long-term trajectory of how the Switch will be. You would think, oh, it's breaking records, that must be a good sign. But we've seen comments like that before for systems that didn't do as well. Do you remember when GameStop was saying uh, pre-orders for the Wii U were so great they had to make a waiting list? And then we all know how the Wii U turned out. Well, now GameStop's saying pre-orders for Switch are some of the highest console pre-orders they've had in years. So that on its own sounds great, but when you go, yeah, but Wii U, you had so many pre-orders you had to do a second list and then the system was the worst that Nintendo ever produced in terms of sales outside of Virtual Boy, it's like, well, okay, so maybe we ran it low. low. Or a better example, remember the last time Nintendo launched a system in March with the 3DS and it had the highest single-day handheld sales in the U.S. in NOA history? 500000 in a day. And then five months later, it had its price drop by $80 because it wasn't selling. Hmm. So the point I'm making is these numbers are front-loaded. Zelda makes them front-loaded. The hype of the Switch makes them front-loaded. We don't exactly know how the Switch will do long-term, but it is a very promising start. It just isn't a guarantee of something great. So I think the real test is going to be in the months ahead with Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, with ARMS, with Splatoon, with ultimately Mario Odyssey in the first holiday season. Like that, That is the real test of how Switch will do and how it will be as a system long-term. But the good news is the hype seems more real than I think we saw with Wii U or maybe even with 3DS. There seems to be way more positive word of mouth with Switch than there was with Wii U. I mean, Nintendo's marketing and ways we've never seen. They have ads on Chicago trains for the Switch. I can't remember the last time Nintendo had an ad on any public transit anywhere in America. They do it in Japan all the time, but I can't think of a single example here in the States. So that, like, you know, they have that. And, like, anecdotally, I know way more people who have Switches or who have an interest in the Switch than was the case with Wii U. Like I don't know if you've seen that too. But, oh yeah, I
1: mean three yeah. people in our social group Already bought Switches one. that didn't have a Wii U, yeah, or even a Nintendo console for that matter. And
0: I have like three separate people I know at work who have never expressed interest in a Nintendo platform, being like, okay, I might get a Switch. In fact, one of them told me the other day. So I bought Zelda. I don't have a Switch yet, but I bought Zelda for Switch. And I'm like, what? So like it's it's a real thing. I mean, we've seen it here on the podcast too. Now that I think about, it. like our listenership has grown in tandem with the interest in the Switch. Like you can map. New record-breaking, like listener counts, specifically to Switch events—the presentation, the launch—like it's, it all seems like the Switch is getting way more attention than Wii U ever had. Which means, even positive though it's attention too early at least. To say what,
1: definitely positive attention. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, totally. Which is just, which is a good indicator that it's going to do well in the long term, even if we don't know for sure just yet. After you know, getting burned by Wii U and three DS is a success, but perhaps the biggest indicator of all is that Nintendo is now doubling Switch production. You can't really top that as an indicator that things are going well. Instead of shipping 8 million Switches starting fiscal year April 1st until a year from now in 2018, they're now planning to ship 16 million in that year. To give you a sense of how much that is, that is more in one year than the Wii U sold in its entire life. Well, so they have high hopes now. Granted, Nintendo made so lofty... all they have to do is sell the
1: shipment and
0: yeah. So sell the shipment, and it's already not their worst-selling Nintendo system outside the Virtual Boy ever. Yeah, exactly. Um Now, granted, Nintendo has made lofty sales goals in the early days of the Wii U, and those completely fell flat. But you don't really just double production numbers for the fun of it. Like, there's this is based on real traction they're seeing out in the market. They're seeing with demand, and they are taking action based on that, which is a good sign that Switch's future will be a positive one beyond this initial launch hype. So stockholders seem happy about it. Nintendo's uh, shares went up to pre-Switch presentation numbers with uh, following this news. And if you may recall, after the presentation, their, their stock actually kind of tanked because they're like, oh, this isn't what people want. Except it turns out it is what people want. So there's that. What's really going to be interesting, though, is how Nintendo does in March's NPD chart. That's when we're actually going to see some hard like comparisons against competitors and that sort of thing. And then, of course, we have... Um, the april end of april we have their financial briefing where they'll give real numbers on a worldwide level including individual game sales numbers so coming up is when we'll get a real sense of it we're up to weigh a bit though we only just got february's mpd this past week and that means we won't see marches until sometime in april so um in a way i guess you can view february's chart uh mpd chart as kind of the calm before the storm i think that's how i pitched it at the top of the show too but um how so? Well, I guess more of the slump before the storm, actually, now that I'm looking at the numbers more closely. Because for another month, industry as a whole is not doing so hot. Uh, revenue for February... I don't
1: think you always say that. Like, industry is it's down It's because it is. 30%. It is.
0: That's what's weird. Everyone's like, oh, PS4's doing great, Xbox One's doing. <laughs> and time's having a comeback. But in reality, it is down. Like, revenue in February 2017 is 21% lower than it was February 2016. <laughs> Hardware sales dropped 30%, so by a third. Switch may be the savior, will probably be the savior next month and reverse this trend, but that's not great. Like, yes, video games are still a very big thing. PlayStation Four is doing wonderful for Sony, and chugging along with 3DS and Wii U is not even a thing anymore. But they're, you know, everyone's carrying their own weight. But it seems like there's just possibly less interest compared to a few years ago when there were a lot more casuals involved. They probably moved on, and that's leading to fewer sales overall. Um Also interesting, it's February for the first time in as long as I can remember. did not have Minecraft in its top 10 software chart. Minecraft itself has sold 122 million copies worldwide since its inception, which is crazy. That's a lot of copies, but it did not chart in February. Instead, uh, For Honor from Ubisoft was the number one game of the month followed by Resident Evil 7. For Honor? Yes. And Resident Evil 7 came in number two. Uh, And while I know we're a Nintendo podcast, I kind of feel like we need to take a minute to acknowledge Resident Evil 7. Like, what a comeback for Capcom! Like they yeah. rebooted Resident Evil really well. And funny name aside, like I I find it so ridiculous and funny that in America it's called Resident Evil Biohazard, and in Japan it's called Bio, Biohazard Resident Evil. Like what a <laughs> lazy name! <laughs> but it's just like, hey, what if we just flip them? But funny uh, thing is
1: that Biohazard is just what it's always been called in yes, Japan. So exactly. now it's like this is added.
0: It, it, it's just like, why don't you just get <laughs> a new name? Or just... yeah, just settle, that'd be like if. That'd be like if Eggman and Dr. Robotnik... Were, well, they kind of did that for a while, where it was like Dr. Eggman Robotnik or Dr. Robotnik Eggman. Like, no, just just make the switch or don't make the switch. Doing, like, half names is weird. But anyway, it's a really good game from the little bit I played on your guys' PlayStation VR. Like, yeah. Capcom really turned it, it went around.
1: Out. So far, they're the only, like, A developer that's really gone, like, all in yeah. on a big franchise with the PlayStation VR. Like, I don't even think... Everything else, I mean, there's some great stuff on there, but for the most part, they all feel like indie experiments. Like, there isn't, like, a full-on, like, game like Resident Evil, like, just imagine if you have, like, God of War on there or something. Massive. We don't even have a proper, like, in the first-person shooter yet. I mean, Resident Evil kind of counts, but that's definitely more survival horror. Yeah. And and what I think is kind of insane about it is, like, I
0: it seems circumstantial that it worked out this well. Like, Capcom was like, we're rebooting Resident Evil, making it first person. And then Sony's just like, oh, hey, you know, funny you should mention that. We have virtual reality now. And they're like, oh, cool.
1: <laughs> a better place <laughs> like, to a horror game than VR. Yeah, I don't
0: know, like, how far in advance they were looped in on VR because obviously these developers get a heads up. But I feel like they were going this route with Resident Evil anyway. Like, they saw the PT demo on PlayStation and were like, oh, let's do that. But since, you know, since Kojima and Del Toro are no longer working with Konami – we're not gonna do. They're not gonna do Silent Hills. Let's just run with their idea and make it Resident Evil, and then boom, somebody came off VR. It's really cool. Like if you guys haven't listeners, I'm talking listeners now because I know you have, but and you called me out last time, made it seem like you didn't know. Uh, listeners, if you guys haven't tried a PlayStation VR or Resident Evil Seven, find someone who has one. It's actually really really cool. Like it's one of the cooler VR experiences I've ever had. So yeah. Anyway, on the Nintendo side of MPD, we don't have any numbers really at all to work with but we do have top 10 lists for wii u and 3ds and it's kind of interesting to see what games are doing what on those systems like on wii, u, on wii u smash bros is still the number one game in the month of february followed by paper mario color splash which has been number two for like four or five months now i think so huh. that's or it's been Surprising. hovering between number one and number two so that's actually kind of impressive for color splash granted we could be talking sales of 400 units i don't know but the fact that it's holding on in that spot for that many months after the bad buzz about how it like doesn't really have an identity and people don't like it and whatnot, kind of impressive. Now, personally, I've, all, I've always kind of liked Color Splash. Um, since it came out, I get pretty positive impressions. It is kind of slapped together, but in terms of like, the features, don't. there's no cohesive vision necessarily, but it's fun. I, I enjoy it. So it's kind of nice that it's still holding on. Um, a particular note, though, is Yoshi's Woolly World actually boosted back up to the number four spot presumably riding a mi- uh, minor bump from Yoshi and Poochie's Royal World on 3DS, hmm. which got mar- a bit of a marketing push and more Same attention. Same
1: thing with Mario Maker? That I was uh, Mario.
0: Yeah, Mario Maker's doing... Um, I think Mario Maker might actually be number three on the list. I don't remember off the top of my head. I don't have the list in front of me. I just took notes on which ones were worth highlighting. But yeah, Mario Maker probably got a boost from the 3DS version. Um, speaking of those, on the 3DS side, Mario Maker actually is kind of holding its own. It's number four on that list, which is you know two months after launch. Not bad. Number one... Is Yoshi's Wooly World, or Poochie and Yoshi's Wooly World, which is, which somehow surpassed both Pokemon Sun and Moon. Sun was number two, Moon was number three. Sun and Moon still have new marketing behind them. They still have new commercials. They still have attention. Yet Yoshi was able to pass that. So that's kind of, to me, that's kind of both unsurprising and surprising. In that, like, one, well, duh, it's a new game and Yoshi's popular. But at the same time, it's like it's a port. It wasn't a ton of marketing. I think they mostly did those adorable stop-motion videos on YouTube and did they even have a TV commercial? I never saw one. Because I think they're focusing on Switch at that point. So the fact that I was still able to be number one against the behemoth that is Pokemon is pretty impressive. And then right after Pokemon comes Mario Maker, as I mentioned, uh, for 3DS. The only other recent 3DS release of note is uh, in January we got Dragon Quest 7, Journey of the Cursed King, which I think came out third week of January, and it didn't didn't sell a ton in January. I think when we talked about that time, we were saying it was double-digit numbers, like 40,000 or something. Um, it's now number 7 on the chart for February, so it did not get any sort of bump or anything. It's behind Mario Maker at 4. It's behind Smash Bros. at number 5. Uh, Mario Kart 7 is at number 6. So with, even without hard numbers, I think we can probably get the sense that maybe Dragon Quest ports aren't exactly a booming business.
1: Yeah. It's
0: nice that Intel's doing them. It lays some groundwork probably for um, future Dragon Quest games, but... We're not talking gangbusters here at all with those games. Mm-hmm. Which... So, not looking
1: good for the Switch one? I don't know. Because I mean, that, one, that one's not a port. Isn't that a brand new Dragon Quest?
0: That's. Yeah. Well, there's a couple Switch ones. They're pouring over the Wii U's MMO. They're pouring over Dragon Quest Heroes 1 and 2. They're porting over. Uh, and they're going to co release. Well, actually, they already did, huh? Yeah, you could buy it, gonna, it now. Exactly, just, in Japan. Yeah. And they're going to co release or simultaneously release um, 11 or whatever the next Dragon Quest is on Switch and I believe PS. So the question is, will this come stateside? The 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 thing is, well, they don't
1: I don't do because of the region free. Yeah, but they're know, yeah. Japanese.
0: Uh, the the thing that's troublesome is if Dragon Quest Seven is in the number seven spot two weeks after it came out. Um, or sorry, Dragon Quest Eight, not Seven. Dragon Quest Eight. Uh, then how does that fare for future Dragon Quest? So I guess we'll see. I work next door to Square Enix. My office is right next door. I could just go bother that's them cool. about it. Yeah, I'll go bother them. I'll report back, never, because that's not actually going to be something I do. Uh, But yeah, what has become a booming business, even if Dragon Quest hasn't, is 3DS hardware variations. We always knew these things sell, but I don't think we realized just how much they sell. So, 3DS sales were up 77% from January to February this year, specifically, according to NPD, because of the Pikachu new 3DS and the new Galaxy-style new Nintendo 3DS XL. That one did well? Here's what I don't understand. How did that one do well six, seven months after it came out? It was an August release, if i remember correctly. Why did that purple 3DS with a swirly Milky Way on the front suddenly boost sales 77% in February? Was there a discount? Did they do a second wave? Do people really like a name as long as new Galaxy-style, new Nintendo 3DS XL? Well, most one, people two, ignore all that stuff. That's seven words on the name for a system. And it says new twice. Two of those words are the same. That is that is like 12% of its name is identical. Or no, more than 12%. But like why why is that doing well? I mean, great. That's great for Nintendo. Like I guess people like the purple and like the silly name. But that's just so random that that boosted sales that much. A Pikachu I get. Pikachu came out late February for Pokemon Day. Yeah. I don't understand the new Galaxy one. But whatever. Uh, speaking of Pokemon though, separate from MPD, kind of worth mentioning. Um, we learned that Pokemon Go... We recently learned that Pokemon Go is still doing pretty strong after launch of Gen 2 Pokemon. Uh, you may recall when I gave impressions a few episodes ago, I think like a month ago now, I was saying it's weird that the game didn't make its way up the revenue chart in the App Store. It wasn't the top-grossing app as quickly as I thought it would be. I spoke too soon because uh, in days following that episode and since then, I think it's fallen back down. But for a while there, it was the number one top-grossing app in the US, Britain, Denmark, Ecuador, Luxembourg, Netherlands, New Zealand, Singapore, and... Slovakia, yes, Slovakia, of all places. So uh, perhaps, perhaps it was doing better than I led on to at the time. But since we haven't really had a chance to talk Pokemon since the episode, I'm throwing it in here now. The more significant number, though, is that uh, this game as a whole, Pokemon Go, has now been downloaded more than 650 million times worldwide since launch. To give you some perspective, a bit of an apples and oranges comparison for you: the download count of all Pokemon of Pokemon Go. Is now more than double the total sales of all Pokemon games ever, which sits at about three hundred million. And granted, one's paid for and one's not, but Pokemon Go is generating money. In 2016, it turns out Pokemon Go generated eighty-six percent more revenue than any other individual mobile game. Wow. Yeah. So my point with all this is that while February may not have been particularly eventful for Nintendo outside of the new Galaxy style new Nintendo 3DS XL and that and the Pikachu 3DS, um, Pokemon Go is still getting them plenty of free money. They are still making money as they roll into the Switch, so that's good for them. Yeah, and that's yeah. your Jason Sales Corner for episode 146 of the Amtongue Podcast. Now, before we get to... Thank you. Now, before we get to Zelda, we... I sort of alluded to this at the top of the show. Uh, we've been neglecting 3DS for a while outside of sales. I mean... bye, the bye, boy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We've been neglecting it, and Nintendo's been announcing things, and it's only fair that we give it some attention since we have the time. So... Bye bye Box Boy is probably the biggest story. Um Box Boy's back. That the end. But That's think, all we got. But no, he's no, bye so bye. He he's back for yes, so on March twenty third, Nintendo is bringing over the final entry in the Box Boy trilogy to the three DS here in the States. Um it's a trilogy that I don't think anyone knew was a trilogy. I didn't know it was a tri- when I bought the first Box Boy, no one told me there'd be a box box boy and a bye bye box boy. Or that meant much alliteration going on. Like that was that was a lot. But yeah, it's called Bye Bye Box Boy. It's the final game. It builds on what the first two games did. So you're still like spawning puzzle or blocks out of him to do things. The hook this time around is that there are various boxes with different powers. So there's a box that blows up. There's a box that can fly with a rocket pack. There's a box that teleports you. You know that that sort of stuff. So the puzzles are now more
1: intricate, more, <laughs> intricate,
0: more interesting. It's funny because normally in a game, it's
1: like push. My like oh, first you're literally just pulling and pushing, yeah. but now you could stretch them in every direction. So it's like pushmo one but but different two more <laughs> it's fine cuz Nintendo has this strategy with their puzzle games
0: which worked great for and them. and crashmo
1: right? was like whoa, now they yeah. pretty much you could have no there's no restriction on where you could pull them
0: yeah it, it's funny, cuz like that crashmo the pushmo crashmo stretchmo stretchmo situation is kind of like the go-to strategy for Nintendo puzzle platformers now in that most games over the course of a game this is Nintendo's strategy more so than most developers they slowly introduce new mechanics to you as you go through the game and they build on that to create new gameplay ideas. You know, Mario Galaxy did that really well, for example. Like, you first learn you can do this, then you do this with something else, and you suddenly do that, and then it builds from there. What Nintendo did with these puzzle platformers, push mode, crash mode, stretch mode, now box boy, box box boy, and bye-bye box boy, this is just an excuse for me to say things that rhyme and alliterate. Anyway, the point, what they now do is they've taken that idea of, like, what if we keep introducing mechanics and then stack them, and instead of releasing them as one $30 game, they've released them as these $10, $15 mini puzzle games, that feel fully fledged in their own right, but you only get like the entire gameplay evolution if you buy all three at a price that then becomes a standard game. I don't know if that is intentional, but it's kind of genius because you still feel like you're getting your ten bucks worth with push mode, Then you may get stretch mode. Then you may get crash mode. And at that point, it's like you went and bought a cartridge with all three,
1: hmm.
0: and it has the same evolution of gameplay as if you bought a normal game in a cartridge with all three. So it, it's really clever, and yeah, so BoxBoy does that too. Um, the thing about BoxBoy that's different is it has an Amiibo. Crash mode, push mode, stretch mode never got an Amiibo. In Japan and Europe, uh, they're releasing this adorable Amiibo of Kyubi, who's the little square dude with the eyes and the legs and no other body parts but for whatever reason, us Americans won't have the opportunity to get ourselves a QB. And that's kind of annoying. We do get the ability to scan the Kirby series Amiibo to unlock little costumes of Kirby and company. Uh, and that makes sense because, you know, how Laboratory developed both games. But we don't get QB himself. And it sounds kind of silly for me to say this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. It honestly bothers me that we aren't getting the QB Amiibo. Like, it actually bothers me. It's not just like, oh, okay. How oh, much? Because... Are you okay, Jason? I, no, I'm not okay. You're hot and bothered? I'm hot and bothered. And here's why. Well, no, hot and bothered is like turned on. No, I'm not hot and bothered. I'm not like, oh, yeah, QB. No, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm, I'm I'm bothered, but not hot. Well... Maybe I'm I'm hot to someone, I'm sure. But I'm bothered. Uh, And the reason is, I know Box Boys are relatively niche. I get it's only on the eShop. I get it's literally about just a box with eyes and legs. But Nintendo has an online store. Nintendo has the means, if no retailer wants to sell a QB amiibo, to just put an amiibo online and have you buy it from their store. It is easy. They did it years ago with Electroplankton on the DS. Remember that game? That music-making thing? They made – no one wanted to sell it. No retailer thought they should give uh, shelf space to it. So Nintendo said, fine. We're going to put it on in We'll have a limited run. People will buy it. It will become rare. It's worth a lot of money now. It has a very shiny box. I own a copy and I enjoy it. But the point is uh, they made it available. And I don't know maybe why – Maybe Chibi
1: Robo scared them away. They're like, oh, we made the Chibi Robo Amiibo. <laughs> maybe. And no one really bought that game, but they wanted the Amiibo. And they never just sold the Amiibo by itself here in the States. So. Yeah,
0: that might be it. But the thing with that, I still and it don't It seems care. very
1: comparable. The both of them were pretty niche. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, the, it makes sense. But the Chibi Robo Amiibo, they were like, okay, well, we made it. Let's sell it. It didn't do well. That's fine. So if they just said, we're not going to make a QB Amiibo, I get it. That would make sense. Because they're like, well, we're not going to invest in the development and design of all that stuff in the plastic mold and whatnot. But Q B exists in Europe and Japan. It can't be that hard for them to just toss them on the U.S. door and ship him out. They don't have to make more. They just allocate a couple thousand, ten thousand. I don't know how how these sell, and make it available. Like I, I think Chibi Robo probably did scare him off. But it's such minimal effort on their part that I don't know why they don't just do it. Like they can get some free money out of this. So yeah. it seems just weird. do it. And I, yeah, I don't care so much because I really like the Box Boy franchise. I think the aesthetic is really cool and kind of charming in its simplicity. I like the, uh, I like how Hal basically was like, here's a box. I mean, first, like, here's a ball, and then they made it pink, and that became Kirby, and now, they're like, here's a box.
1: It's almost like a challenging game design. They're like, all right, make a puzzle game, but yeah. be as minimalistic as possible. Yeah, and, and it's a really they game. And they literally went as minimalistic as you could possibly go with a character. Yeah. I mean... It could not li- be more minimal if they try. I, mean, I guess he couldn't have legs. Though, I, I, I mean, but then at that point, you're just Pong. Like, you're just a Yeah, yeah that's true.
0: But yeah, it's just like, I don't know. Like, beyond my personal vendetta with Box Boys and mebo, I think... Nintendo seems to realize that bringing over BoxBoy is at least a solid way to beef up the 3DS library. Like, they don't have to interfere with Switch development, they don't have to enlist some of their top talent to make this thing, it already exists, they're just porting it, or not porting it, localizing it for America. It's kind of that whole low-budget angle I've talked about with the 3DS before here on the show, where it's like, oh yeah, the system's gonna be cheaper, so they're trying to keep development costs down and work with outside groups as much as possible, or minimal requirement from Nintendo internal, so they can focus on Switch while continuing the legacy of the 3DS and continuing sales of that. So I bet, Box Boy is just one example of how I guess Nintendo do that in the states. Um, they're probably going to bring out other games to 3DS in the US that are already out elsewhere in the world. I mean, they just trademarked Metopia the other day. Metopia is that me-based RPG. that came out in Japan last year, so pre-Switch effort. But now they can bring it out to the US post-Switch. They can still have most of their people focus on Switch stuff, and then have a small team of a couple people, you know, maybe localize Metopia, and they can manage their resources while still making a full-fledged game for. 3DS, so yeah, so I think we're going to see a lot more localization that's not to say I don't think we're going to see higher profile 3DS games too Fire Emblem Echoes is in May, Pikmin and Ever Oasis are still out there somewhere eventually drifting back to Earth to be released I don't know, but uh, I, there's other, you know, there's, there's going to be major releases I think a good example of one that you are probably have an eye on, given your fandom is Monster Hunter Double Cross is That safe to say, are
1: you getting Double Cross? I just want uh one for the Switch now, I don't know but it's another compilation kind of best of version yeah. of
0: the game it's a and best of of a best of that's yeah it, yeah
1: it's <laughs> it's basically generations two like sonic generations yeah. two
0: you mean uh, monster hunter monster hunter generations two
1: no i'm comparing it to sonic generation oh, oh i see because so sonic generation was just a yeah yeah it was the best stuff for sonic this is gotcha. Yeah. sorry i
0: misunderstood.
1: yeah yeah so i was like i just want the the next entry i want more i, I want new monsters and a bunch of them not just like two
0: well, you don't get new monsters, but you do get new DLC. And a dollar. <laughs> you do get a dollar, yeah. So first, real quick, for those who are curious, they are putting out DLC in Japan for Monster Double Grosh. Which is always awesome. Apparently yes. they have Phoenix
1: right. Um, they have
0: Phoenix on the way. Yeah. They have Okami. They have Strider. They have Breath of the Wild. Although I have to admit, it looks kind of janky compared to the real Breath of the Wild.
1: Well, I mean they always do.
0: I know, but this one in particular, I love. Which, almost, always, which, which almost gives them more term. I know. I love how like everyone was running with it. Like I saw people on Twitter playing a screenshot of, like Link from Breath of the Wild next to the Monster Hunter Double Cross Link, and it's like your profile or your profile picture versus picture tagged of you or something like that. Like it's always you look worse than you want to. But yes, um, I do owe you a dollar because while while it is coming to 3ds it is not officially yet coming to Switch. and
1: And not at least not within the window
0: yeah so first a little background for those who don't listen regularly i made a bet back when monster double cross was first announced that it would be there would be a switch version day and date with 3ds version because it's absurd for there not to be and i don't know why there isn't no but seriously like this comes out march 13th that was prime switch time That was before we knew switch was coming out march 3rd but it was within the oh wait march 13th that already came out didn't it It's already out. It's the 19th now. What am I doing? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Now, it sounds like we recorded a week ago. I gave you
1: you another week because I remember we said, all right, maybe they're waiting, but nothing.
0: But it's nothing. And what's crazy is like the MT framework, Capcom's MT framework engine, which powers Monster Hunter, is also, I believe, what's making uh, Ultra Street Fighter 2 for Switch a possibility. So the engine is on the Switch. The game could come to the Switch. There is a market for it on the Switch, and yet there is no Monster Hunter double Cross for Switch. So, with all that said, uh, they were asked about it. I'm not totally wrong. A Wall Street Journal reporter, the like, Nintendo guy This is not Journal, in our hands. Yes. He asked them, is Monster Hunter Double Cross kind of Switch? They told him, hope you enjoy it on 3DS first. So, so, I'm wrong about the day. I'm right about the concept. But unfortunately, well, yeah, I the mean, bet was I, only I feel, about the day, I and like, I'm now taking a dollar. I feel
1: like it's a given that it's going to come to Switch. It's almost too perfect for the Switch. They get to marry the... The initial idea from Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate, where you got to play it on the Wii U and then transfer your data to the 3DS if you have both copies. This is just that fully realized, because you don't need to transfer it between copies or buy two copies of the same game. You just pull it out of the dock, which is amazing.
0: Speaking of blunting things out of places, that's not inappropriate. I pulled a dollar out of my wallet. If no one believes me, that's a dollar. I'm now handing it to you because of a bet two months ago.
1: I am now receiving said dollar.
0: Capcom. You screwed me over. But you know what? I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be right in the end. So I lost the battle, but I'm going to win the war. Now, granted, there's no bet on the war here, but
1: I'll win the war. You wait and see. Putting said dollar into my wallet will be used for food later. You're welcome. Thank you.
0: Yes. Uh, Any other... I honestly <laughs> thought it would be out by March 13th. I really did. This is such a missed opportunity. Any other game predictions? No. <laughs> yes, no. I'm still sticking to... Monster Hunter Double Cross coming to Switch so, at some point. All
1: right, so it's not going to be the next Monster Hunter. Oh, ooh. do you think they're actually ooh, just going to do it? Did they miss
0: the boat here? Did I missed the boat here. Maybe mm. it might be a new Monster Hunter. Either way, they're building Monster Hunter they, for yeah, Could
1: they they work on them almost like the moment one's released so There's no. There's a Switch, they, they, yeah, Monster they're, they're definitely already working yeah. on the next one. You know what? I'm not going to do that. And do you think it'll be? Cross? And do you think it'll be like a a joint release with one on the 3DS and on the Switch, like basically the same game? Pick your version, or do you think it's just going to be Switch? Just going to be Switch. I think so. Yeah. That's interesting because they have been doing really well on the 3DS. You they think they're just going to abandon that? Oh,
0: don't do this to me. Okay, I'll be on both. I don't know. I don't uh, know. At some point, oh, they, uh, at some point, I mean, I mean, I
1: losses. mean, no, 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 a doll- no, I mean, they have to cut their losses somewhere. They pretty much have to say, all right, everyone on 3DS, if you want the next big Monster Hunter and with the nice, pretty visuals. Here's what I think it's because I mean, be the jump in visuals is going to be huge. Because I mean, we've been playing on the 3DS compared to the Switch. Like, it's going to be night and day.
0: I mean, look at Link's... Look at the Breath of the Wild DLC. I know, just
1: imagine... Monster Hunter Double Cross. That fidelity, I mean...
0: Also, you know what? Two things. First of all... You know, Capcom, I have multiple bones to pick with you, because not only did you screw me over on this bet, but also, I'm sorry, XX is XX. I'm calling it Double Cross because you told me to call, call it Double Cross, but two X's do not mean Double Cross. They mean X and X. It also
1: means Backstab. Means,
0: okay, sure, but uh, okay, <laughs> <The cost. laughs> but my point is like it's not. I know what you're doing, Capcom. You're like, oh, well, when you do crossovers, it's like Smash Bros. X. I don't know, Mo- uh, Tales of Symphonia. And then look, there's a Lloyd costume in the game, but the X represents a multiplication, you know what, what if, as in you're combining them. You can't do a. What if these X.
1: generation games that have been coming out are just buying time for their next big one? That's what I think it is, which is why but, I also
0: don't think it'll be on 3DS, which, which makes sense. Like, they're, much, they're
1: they're pretty much just breathing yeah. a bunch of assets because they're too busy building new ones, and they're definitely not going to go yep. um, Monster Hunter XXX.
0: No, unless that's the porn parody, which I, <laughs> I don't want to see ever. Uh, but no, I'm pretty sure it's. I'm pretty sure it's not coming to 3ds simply because it's all new assets. It's all new engine. There's no way. It might be the same engine, but it's all new assets. So there's no way they're gonna like downres them that much. And also, by the time it comes out, they're not gonna release it till next year at the earliest. And by then, 3ds is legitimately on its downward descent. If now that we know Switch is doing well enough, 3ds is gonna be phased out at some point. The rumor is. In 2018, 2018 will be with lots for raw, so I don't think they're going to, yeah, I don't think we're going to see it on 3DS, yeah, honestly. But...
1: Pokemon will keep it there for a while, but eventually that have to come over also.
0: Oh, and one more thought, Um, one more thought, Capcom. The Double X, whenever I see that, I think Dossekis beer, okay? <laughs> so you. I'm not playing Monster Energy Dos Equis, I'm playing Double Cross, but with the wrong way of spelling the name. It's kind of like Fast Remix. I call it Fast Remix because it's RMX. But technically, it's RMX. But is that remix or is that RMX? Are they just leaving out vowels because they're cool, or are they leaving out vowels because you're supposed to call it RMX? These are the things that keep me up at night. So that's that. Now you guys know my my deepest angers are not about any of the rants that go on. They're about the styling of names in video games. But uh, yeah, I guess there's no there's no way to transition from this. I'm just gonna say it. We're talking Zelda now. <laughs> so what we've been what we've been playing for the past two weeks, also exclusively, I'd argue, is Zelda. Zelda, Zelda, Zelda. Breath of the Wild. And here's the thing about Zelda. I am positive the vast majority of people out there listening to us right now, the vast majority of you on the other side of this microphone, have played it, are playing it. You probably think it's good. You probably think it's great. And I don't think our impressions are going to be telling anyone, hey, you should buy Zelda, or nah, you should skip it. Because everyone that likes it, like, everyone knows it's a good game. So I think what these impressions are, aren't really...
1: It's one of those games where it's like, it's more true now than ever. We're like, oh, if people that want it already have it.
0: Yeah, I mean, eighty nine percent of Switch owners, according to SuperData, already have it. So, but now I think and a what, few people
1: on the Wii U and
0: Wii U folk. Yeah, not forgetting you, Wii U folk. Did out that?
1: There. sell? that they put up numbers for that? that no, no,
0: that number strictly uh, Switch. Hmm. Yeah, I checked that. I was curious about that when I first saw it. Uh, but yeah, so I think these impressions are less about whether you should check out zelda because everyone knows the answer the answer is yes uh i think they're more about what makes this zelda special like what works for it what doesn't work for it why does it stand out as much as it does why does it have over 40 10 out of 10s or whatever crazy stat that is that has and at least for me i think if you look at at the broadest sense the thing that makes this zelda special is that it's truly like your own adventure which sounds cheesy but hear me out like of course, there are scripted segments. Of course, there are cutscenes and there's narrative and all that jazz. But, and and you know, even now that I think about it, there's even video gamey things. There's the fact that in The Great Plateau, the old man who keeps giving you advice just magically materializes wherever you need to be and has little one off lines basically poking fun at the fact that he's like a video game guy that just magically materializes. Like, that's very video gamey, sure. But unlike a lot of. ...of other open world games. You're not necessarily just connecting dots... ...between scripted events in the world. Like, I think a lot of what you're doing in Zelda... ...is really your own choice. It's your own unique consequences... ...thanks to those, um... ...what the developers call physics and chemistry engines. Like, every action in this game... ...has its own unique reaction. And what's fun about that is that it means there's a pretty different experience for everyone. Like, I may choose to go take out a bokoblin camp... ...by blitzing it with bombs. You may choose to do it with arrows... But there's someone probably on the other end of this microphone somewhere who figured out a weird way to chop down a tree, set the tree on fire, and then while the bokoblins are pinned down, they're also burning to death. That could be a thing. Most games, you don't have that much freedom. So it's really cool that, like, this game allows for that. I feel like a lot of open-world games don't offer just, that sort of, yeah, like, the, the, the flexibility.
1: The level, yeah, the level of interactivity with the environment is really, really – it's like Minecraft levels almost. like yeah. Just the like that you could set the grass on fire, you could cut down and like pretty much interact with everything. Just and, and also kind of like in Skyrim, like the, the arrows persist, like they don't just disappear after a set distance, like many other um, first-person games with arrows. Mm-hmm. Like you could shoot them up, watch them fall back down, grab them. Like I love that you could, like if you have a wooden shield you could block arrows and then put your shield away so and that you, you get can the arrows yeah. back
0: yeah it's pretty cool you know i was actually reading this article from i think it was chris plant on the verge and he made this interesting point about the gameplay freedom that we're kind of talking about and that is because of that freedom zelda has this weird shareability that a lot of games don't have like breath of the wild i don't know about you it's been dominating my like all my social media lately specific, specifically twitter but it's like everywhere and i think the reason for that is like unlike in most games where you're just following the narrative or going through scripted scenarios but breath of the wild it's set up in such a way that you're constantly making what feels like your own discoveries for lack of a better way and again this sounds cheesy but just like hear me out like since everything is dependent on that set of physics and chemistry that we were talking about a second ago like those principles since it's all based on that and since it's all one big world where you can travel wherever you want it almost feels like when you encounter something new or try something different it's natural lack of a better word you know what i mean like it feels just like oh yeah in the real world if i did this this happens if i do it in zelda this happens you kind of learn its own physics and chemistry and then everything you do is exactly how you would expect it to unfold it's not like a video game where it's like artificial walls or weird limitations because they didn't code it in it's like everything you do oh yeah works. like
1: um something funny the other day like um i i'm doing the thing where i just after every temple i just go at the final boss. I just keep trying to see, like, alright, I'm going to beat it this time. Like, oh, no, I should probably play a little more of the game, so, uh-huh. I, so I go out, like, I'm, so I'm on my second go at the boss right now, and I'm pretty sure I could beat the game this time, so I'm just going to do that. But, point is, um, when I was doing my second temple, mm-hmm. um, Elvis was watching me, because he re- he's done all the temples, he's, like, combing through every collectible in the game. Because, I mean, he's a open-world game enthusiast. But he was watching me solve some of the puzzles in the temple, and... After he saw me beat the puzzle, I'm like he was like, Whoa, you could have done it that way and I'm like, Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the way the game intended you to solve it because Yeah. It made sense to me. Like, right, I see this giant metal ball on the other side. I'm gonna try to grab it with my with my magnetic powers (laughs) and Mm -hmm. just like pulled it through. But what he ended up doing, which when he described to me, we just seemed like, Whoa, okay, I kind of even thought to do that and it worked. Basically, um he, may, he flew out a window and flew back in using, a, like, an, an unconventional Why way. Why would
0: anyone think that's the way to solve the and, puzzles, and, to leave and come back? <laughs> like, well, like, well, he,
1: he flew because he knew that there was another window in the other room. Okay. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess since these windows open, I guess I'm supposed to fly out oh. and then fly through that other window. <laughs> and then, obviously, it became super easy for him to, like, blow up what needed to be blown up and move that ball to the proper spot. I right. had to pretty much control it from the other side. Mm-hmm. And he just went in there and did everything and it worked that's what's so cool about say, this wow. game
0: that's just so cool about this game and like have you seen that video where someone figured out that if you um use stasis power on a that stasis ability on a boulder and then climb, and then hit the boulder with your sword and then climb the boulder you basically have like a bullet train to get around yeah, people are roll.
1: using stasis to like beat puzzle yeah to speed run the shrines yeah,
0: yeah. like the developers or did...
1: they'll use like the octrock balloons to make a floating like craft yeah like, yeah like, yeah, like yeah. people have
0: like aircraft they built aircraft or like motorboats motorboats like the developers didn't necessarily plan for any of this yet because of how the game's built they don't feel like hacks either like it really feels like people are using the tools given to them to discover these new things and apparently that's what the developers wanted they've said in at least one interview that they went in expecting the unexpected from players so it's really cool that we have this game where this sort of thing is even possible you don't see that very often and i think personally that's why i like breath of the wild so much more than uh I thought I would, given that i not, not... Like, I knew I was excited for it, but I'm not the biggest fan of open-world titles. We've talked about that on the show before. Like, I've said before, I prefer games that are a bit more linear in structure, but I think what Zelda really made me realize is it's not open-world versus linearity that I necessarily care about. It's open-world games where you're just forced to go from scenario to scenario in a certain order. Like, in those games, there's almost, like, for lack of a better word, I guess a, a, a dissonance, maybe, between in-game events and the open world, in that, like you, yes, you go from point to point through an open world where you do what you want, but you can cut out those open world segments and those games can be completely linear and you go through the exact same plot points and the exact same objective path and you're doing exactly the same thing with or without that open world. So for me, those open world games are always like, well, why would I go through the effort of having to hunt down these specific things when Mario Galaxy can just lay them out in front of me or whatever? Yeah. So I think that's what I didn't like about open world. But if it's open world because you need to really like forge your own path or make your own discoveries... Where the game and the scenarios in the game are actually like very tightly intertwined, and like the world and those scenarios are very tightly intertwined, then I'm all for it. Like it's not about going point A to B and Zelda; you can go point B to A, or C to Z, or D to F, or whatever you want. You tackle it how you want, and that's what's so cool about. It. Like it, again, it's that discovery idea; like you're discovering your own path, you're discovering your own thing. And I th- honestly, I think that discovery. Like if you were to sum up Zelda in uh, Breath of the Wild in a single word, I think discovery is that word. Like it informs every. Single decision they made when developing this game.
1: And it's funny because like, they still use a lot of, um, I guess, staples of open world games. That like you have mm-hmm. the giant map. You have the little, the little blip that tells you where to go. Like, all right, just run straight to that blip. Go to the next blip. You're pretty much going from blip to blip. Yeah, you're and blipping as you do. You have the the towers from like Assassin's Creed or other mechanics where like, oh, you go to this high place, you unlock more of the map. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they even, but they make it all seamless very seamless and just very nintendo be like oh all right here's this tower let's make getting to the tower a puzzle like normally you just climb it but this time like okay you can just climb it sometimes they have a mode around it sometimes they have like guardians watching it mm-hmm. like i don't know it's really and the other
0: the other cool thing about that is like if i choose to go if i jump when i jump off the plat- the great plateau if i decide you know what i'm going left and you say i'm going right one of us isn't wrong and one of us isn't correct we are both playing the game correctly, even though we have very different routes to the end
1: castle. I yeah, think the thing you literally like, play it's however you want. Really
0: cool, and and again, it goes back to that idea of discovery, which I think it, I start to say you see it in every aspect of the game. And I, I'm not just saying that like some sort of like fluff piece. Like I'm serious. Look at the system for items and how you have to replace them. It makes you go out and discover items constantly. Like for example, you and I were talking. I want to say like a week ago about how we were doing maybe less about the Great Plateau. And you're saying how you just kind of ran your way through it, and I was telling you how like I was in the snowy area, I ended up behind a waterfall, and I got a bunch of good items, like a really good sword and that sort of stuff. And you never experienced that, but the route you took probably gave you a bunch of different items that did different things that got you to go a different route in the game. But we both started at the same point and we're both progressing to the same point, but we're doing it in such massively different ways. And the thing is, for all those people out there, like oh, the iron plate, repl- the the fact that irons break and whatnot is kind of stupid. The thing is, we wouldn't have had those different experiences. We wouldn't have had the different routes if the items just stack on themselves, if the items, you know, are just one upgrade. I feel like it makes the game too easy. I would
1: would be less inclined to explore just because now it's like, oh, I want to get all these treasures because I might have a useful item. Like, especially for me, where as soon as I got out of the Great Plateau, I went straight for the final boss just to see how far I could get without having to do... I mean, there are people that are able to beat it and already have, like, I think in under an hour... Because mm-hmm. they already memorized... 52 minutes is the current record. Yeah, because they... Saturday,
0: to, the 18th of March. <laughs> yeah, because they memorized
1: all the patterns, and that probably took a lot of practice and dedication. But, I mean, I want to beat it with it feeling natural. So... Yeah. um, So, I went in. I'm all like, okay, still... I'm, I'm obviously always going to get one shot at no matter what. But, I, yeah, it was too heavily guarded for me. So, I went out, did, like, a few more quests. And I'm like, all right, I think I feel ready to tackle it again. And I'm just doing this rinse and repeat thing until... It feels like, all right, now it feels like I definitely, this is like the limit where you definitely should be able to beat it as opposed to like, yeah, like I just memorized everything.
0: Yeah. And let's say, let's say the item, even beyond that, let's say the item system, let's say they didn't break after a certain amount of time, or let's say you didn't need, or let's say upgrades did it stack
1: Oh yeah, Yeah. yeah Cause I went in with very little resources and I'm just like, Oh, I'm going to have to really, I have to, I don't want to use this sword yet because I don't want it to break. I want to save it for this monster. Blah, blah, blah. Right.
0: But, but let's say it didn't or whatever. What would motivate anyone from going off the linear path of point A to point B? What would motivate you to go point D before B or that sort of thing? Nothing, because you follow the trajectory that the pe- that the weapons take you. You know what I mean? So like the yeah, fact I do that, love
1: that they de-emphasize like the importance of like yeah. oh the bow or the arrow. Like you don't have to go to a temple to get the bow and arrow. You don't have to go to a temple to get the fire rod. You just find them.
0: Yeah. So I think that again is that whole discover thing. Like you, they set up the weapon system in a way that yes, it's a little annoying that you may. You can only carry X number of items and you may have to decide, do I want the tr- this sword or this club or this torch or that axe or whatever it may be. But what you decide is because you decide, I'm going to the snow area, I'm going to the uh, Death Mountain, I'm going wherever I may be going, I'm going to the forest. So it's, again, it's totally up to you and that's something that old Zelda or really a lot of open world games in some ways don't allow for. I think similarly, you can see the exact same discovery idea with the cooking system, with the recipe system. Like... You don't know what's good, you don't know what's bad, you go out and you try things, you randomly find new ingredients that you're like out exploring the world, and then you maybe will find new recipes off that if you experiment a little and discover new things. Like if they just, again, like with weapons, if they just had hearts, or some sort of preset recipe list that you're just like either building out, or you're you know, being told you can now make this, here's how you do it, you'd have less motivation to stray off the beaten path. Because you would be told you need this item that I am in the next time you would be like okay so you'll go get this item that I am in the next time and once you do that you'll just continue on to the dungeon or the temple as it may be now, um, but having it be sort of more organic means that you really need to go find things naturally like just by discovering them on your own and that that's kind of that's kind of the same idea just like every little facet of the game just falls back on that which is kind of interesting. I will say though in the case of the recipes it would be nice if once you had the recipe it like stored it somewhere so you can access it again like I've I haven't had to resort to this yet because I'm not focusing too much on recipes but I know that some people have like started screen capturing every single recipe as soon as they make it so they know exactly what's in it because this is the game doesn't really give you like a log in any clean yeah way. but
1: it's it ends up being not it's that, not a huge it, it's not even that complicated it, it pretty much comes down to like it's all you need to know is that there are certain ingredients that literally tell you they'll either just describe the item and just say, like, oh, it's good for you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then there are certain ingredients that say, like, oh, this will give you heat resistance, cold resistance. This will um, give you extra heart. Like, they specifically say they do something when cooked. In order to just do any successful recipe, you only need to put one of those and then four ingredients that don't do anything. Right. And that's it. That's true. That's and you always get what you want. You don't even really need to remember recipes because it's always going to work. If you try to put two things that do something specific, then you're going to get a bad, a bad meal. And that's literally it. A dubious a meal,
0: you mean. A dubious food, or whatever they call
1: and it. And the same goes for elixirs. You just need one insect or creature that says it does something specific, and then just a bunch of random monster parts. And that's it.
0: But see, here's the interesting thing, which again, I'm just going to keep saying the word discovery, because that really is what this game's about to me. You have to discover that. The game doesn't tell you that. Yeah. Which is a good thing, I think. But yeah. And, like and in I mean, my case, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking actually, uh, literally up until just now when you said otherwise, I honestly thought all the ingredients mattered. So I've been like being like, oh, I need to remember this recipe, and I'll make a mental note, but I guess I don't. I mean, they matter,
1: I mean, they kind of matter, they kind of, they usually don't matter outside of just, like, oh, obviously using prime meat versus regular meat is going to give you something better, and I mean, maybe there is, like, a secret combination, I mean, there definitely will be, or I'm sure there is a secret combination of specific items that will get you, like, a ton of bonus hearts, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, like, I know Elvis is big on his cooking, and he always has, like, a bunch of meals on hand for different situations, but Mm -hmm. he always has to figure out which fruits versus plants gives you more hearts versus, like, you can have one that protects you from the heat that only gives you two hearts versus one that the same thing and gives you, like, ten. Right.
0: Now, go into a normal Zelda game or a normal open world game, and you'd be like, here's the recipe that gives you ten. Use this to beat this mountain. And it's like, oh. Well, that's not really... I mean, it's open world. You have to get to that mountain. You have to get the ingredients. But you're not really discovering anything. It's just kind of... Yeah, like some people... It's just like, you know, it's like a point a b situation so yeah, this back. is the next
1: task yeah like back to the beginning of the game you could just go to the snow area and just have a bunch of little fruits on hand just to keep eating to replenish that health and you're living from the cold yeah or you could get the um, the sweater equivalent yeah, that's or you I got the sweater. or okay. you can make a hot meal like you could do it yeah in a different way like, and that's an interesting thing. or you could it's just like, build up enough heart containers i guess that doesn't matter yeah
0: but yeah that, that's the thing is like in the in the even in the great plateau alone like i you are kind of led to believe the first shrine you go to is the one smack in the middle of the plateau. But there's nothing at all from stopping you from doing it in a different order. Like, you're welcome to do it any order you want. And that's that's like the little microcosm of the bigger Zelda experience. But, but yeah, that discovery, I know I keep saying discovery. I feel dumb, like, discovery, discovery, discovery. But literally, every single decision in this game stems from that. Take difficulty. Take the frequency of death. You learn through trial and error that you need certain things, or certain abilities, or certain weapons in order to defeat an enemy. Like, you can go play against an enemy, but if you die, then you go, oh, maybe I should tackle this a different way. And it's up to you on your own to determine exactly how to beat that enemy. And thanks to the save system, which is really frequent and and simple and to the point, you never lose more than a a few minutes of gameplay. So in past Zelda's dying was an annoyance, and you had to backtrack, and it's just a pain... In this one, dying's almost part of the learning experience. Like I know a lot of people online, are like, "Oh, you die a lot. Oh, it's too hard." But I don't think that's an issue.
1: It also saves so often that when you yeah, die, you pretty much start time like time. right where you left off.
0: Exactly, never more than a few minutes. Yeah. And like, like in I, I don't remember what side it was, but there's an interview with the developers. who are like, "Yeah, we kind of want you to fall off the giant tower the first time. Like, we're not we, we're not like encouraging it. But if you fall and learn, I shouldn't fall. You just restart back the tower and learn. Like you're disco- again discovering for yourself how." how that works so that that's kind of cool or like how about the climbing mechanic that too is this idea of like you can go anywhere and find anything in these unexpected places as long as you can figure out a way to get your stamina high enough to climb it's fair game the, the entire first pitch of anything you see on the horizon you can get to is again all hmm. snaking back to the single idea of discovery. i don't
1: remember where it came from but i think it was for skyrim i'm not sure but i remember a dev was saying something I'm like oh you see that mountain over there you can go there it's pretty much that
0: yeah that that was uh, wait that was zelda was <laughs> oh i mean they're ref- yeah that was miyamoto and Anuma in the original when they were showing the overworld with the game at the game awards in Oh, they might have said the same thing because i know i've heard oh, it before I know, it, I, know yeah. I know i've heard it beforehand there, there was somewhere. a funny comment so you know i don't know if you saw it in tempo at an accolades trailer for breath of the wild where it's just Link links down plateau and all these 10s out of 10s spinning around him Yeah. yeah. and someone commented on it like see that 10 out of 10 over there you can go to it <laughs> or something i was like oh that's funny but um Yeah, like, the climbing mechanic, too, is all about just doing what you want. Also, I don't know how they make climbing so fun. All you're doing is moving upward, but somehow there's something really, like, it doesn't feel like a chore as much as it should. It
1: definitely makes Link the most, like, maneuverable character. Yeah, he's the most agile he's ever been. Yeah, because, like, like, even, like, going back to just, like, me trekking to the the final boss, like, there's Mm -hmm. a path he could take, but it's like, okay, well, because I'm so underpowered, I pretty much have to, like, Metal Gear Solid my way in there. So like, all right, I, maybe I'm gonna go out this window and just climb through the outside, and because he's like Spider Man, you could like pretty much go on any surface, like, Seriously, except
0: unless it's raining, in which case you can't go on any surface. Yeah, the is only exception are
1: just when you go to these temples; like, they're pretty much don't let you climb yeah. anything because. We'll we'll oh, be yeah,
0: but yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought you had more eyes back. I was, vague, oh, I was no. letting you fish that before I get that. But yeah, the, the other thing I was gonna say is the shrine system is also shrine and temple system. So. I really need to stop saying the word discovery, but you get the idea. Like, there's even the idea that, okay, there's not dungeons in a traditional sense. You have 100 shrines scattered around the world. It's up to you. 116
1: or 120? Yeah, whatever, 100
0: plus. Scattered around the world, and you need to find them however you want, in whatever order you want, and their significance to your game doesn't, like, it doesn't matter which order you go, and they all are roughly the same significance. Like, that...
1: They're pretty much just the puzzles you would find in proper temples just spread out. So they definitely make up for the fact that there are only four of these proper temples. Yeah. But, I don't know, those, I don't know, I, I thought they were, one of them was a little tricky to figure out, but after that, the rest of, the only other one I've just seems too easy, mm-hmm. and the other one that always, and the other ones I haven't done yet, always also said they're about that level of difficulty. Right. The thing with the boss is, like, um, they're also kind of on the easy end, which is fine. You could kill them are ah, easy you
0: for want. you, but someone that may have just gone straight to them. So oh, no, 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 well, that's, that's a, what's it's... crazy about this Zelda game. <laughs>
1: Oh, no, well, that's like, like I um, what yeah, the, the temple bosses, I guess. Yeah.
0: But, again, yeah. they're only easy to you because you were bulked up with whatever you Oh, no, ride. I wasn't. Cause uh, I, oh, they're easy regardless. Yeah, oh,
1: that's, that's what I was saying. saying like, yeah. um, only, there's like one exception that I know will kill a lot of people their first time because it definitely killed me the first time. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Ovis, when he saved that temple for last, so he was super bulked up and everything. And even he had to use like a lot of healing. Like he probably lost the amount of hearts equivalent to how many game overs I got. Oh, wow. But after you figure them out, it's pretty easy. But the yeah. other ones, compared to that one boss, like, the other ones, like, you probably won't even die. But
0: Yeah, that, that's the thing I find interesting about the temples. So, like, the shrines are just like new Zelda mechanic of discovery and everything. But then the temples are like just throwback to normal Zelda almost. Yeah, the
1: fact that they give it's... you, I guess, the bombs, the magnesius and the stasis in the beginning, and that's yeah. pretty much like everything you need to go explore. But, I but, mean... but that's
0: what's funny about the Zelda. Is like for all they've changed, for all this stuff we're going on and on about but open world, do what you want, et cetera, et cetera. For all that freedom, it's still a Zelda game through and through, which looks really impressive. Like, the temples are the dungeons, the or the shrines are pieces of the dungeons. The items you get with the Sheikah Slate, the ones you just railed off, are the equivalent of when you just go every temple or every dungeon and get, you know, a hookshot or this or that. They're all yeah that this game's version of that. It's like the Zelda DNA is still there. They just sort of evolved it. And it's like when 2D Zeldas went to Ocarina of Time or, like, in the Mario case, it's like when Mario World went to Mario 64. Like they're grounded in a lot of the similar gameplay ideas, but just presented in a totally different way that feels like a true evolution that you don't get very often. I'm the fact that we have two of these Zelda evolutions in like the span of eleven years, kinda of insane. Actually, no, nine years. Nine years. Because I think Ocarina came out in ninety eight and then yeah. this one's twenty seventeen. Like that's that's pretty impressive. And also this is a big throwback to the first Zelda with its openness. But it's, like, it's cool how like it's totally new, but it also has that slight familiarity that makes it kind of like if you like zelda you can guarantee you'll like this game
1: mm-hmm.
0: but i think beyond the gameplay though one thing i do want to call out about breath of the wild is like the developers did a really good job with the world building like the game's absolutely gorgeous first of all looks really good on tv looks great on the switch handheld even better on tv but um like it looks so good that we i'll overlook the little things like frame rate trip drops when there's too much grass blowing or that sort of thing like whatever that's fine but like the attention to detail within that world is nuts the weather patterns the wild animals the fact there's like roaming flocks of birds flying around or you know you might see some boars grazing or a squirrel even squirrels like there's squirrels running around on rare occasions and if you can be cruel enough to kill it you can kill it because it's in the world and you can act on it because of that physics and chemistry stuff like it's just really cool it's a living breathing world and what really helps make it feel that way in my opinion is the um sound design like this may be my favorite sound design in any video game ever. Like, I love the ambient sound effects. I love the way the music kind of flows in and out when you get to important areas. Yeah, it's With, like, very, mi- very minecraft because that's what yeah. Minecraft does a lot. Yeah, and, like, the little piano, like, I don't know what to call it. Tinkles? I don't know what the word is. But those little, like, it starts Arpeggio, a Yeah, and it sort of builds. Or, like, even things like Link has different running animation sound effects, depending on both what he's running on, the speed he's running, and I guess three things, and the, like, hill. So I don't know if you noticed, but as you go down, sh- start sharper hills or steeper hills. Um, Link's animation—it's kind of like when you're running down hill yourself, and you're trying to like hold yourself back from gravity pulling you down. Versus when he's walking at normal steepness and he's just kind of running like a normal person. Like each of those have their own sound effect too. It's really impressive. It like is. they put so much. T- I know like Miyamoto and Anuma always like to reference the. Oh, we had someone record actual foot. Uh, Horse footsteps. So when you're walking on your horse, it sounds real. But like they kind of disregard by focusing only on that one. All the other really impressive sound effects. Like it is, it is really cool. And um, I think even the inclusion of like the gy- uh, the gyro controls for the bow and arrows is really nice. Yeah. Like you just tilt. Definitely yeah. my preferred way
1: to shoot. Like you pretty much like aim in the general direction with the analog stick, and then you just fine tune it with the gyro and easy headshot.
0: Yeah, yeah. I will say the way they map the various controls did throw me in a loop at first. Like. I really thought that the sword item button, the X button, should have been like ZR, not X, because yeah, you're I shield like... on ZL, so why would the sword not be ZR? Like, I also feel like that.
1: running ju- running, and jumping should have should been, have been right, next, right next to each other. Well, not first. Or not yeah, next to each other. Yeah, like yeah. you could just hold the run button and you could just tap jump, but I mean... Like works. things
0: like, like some of it makes total sense, like crouching into stealth mode by pressing the left stick, duh, because that stick is your movement stick, so you press down because you're putting pressure on your feet to move slower, like that sort of thing makes sense. But some of the others are low. I don't know. I got used to it, but as someone who did a lot more close combat, yeah, like when run, I started playing, yeah, like running, it felt weird to have the sword not be on a shoulder. think they
1: could have they could have honestly switched um, crouching with the C stick with yeah. the run button. Oh yeah, that would have also because sense. I mean a lot of games, a lot of modern games nowadays just have you run by clicking the joystick. Because that's that's I mean you're running with the joystick just click. It, that's true. Right?
0: They could have made the run. They could have made run be that stick. Crouch be a button, or crouch be the yeah, other yeah, stick, be and be then the... make the sheikah slate be the button.
1: Yeah, or just have Crouch be the button that you were using for I think for the real running.
0: takeaway is what they should have done is had um, or just let custom you customize That's the yeah. yeah. I mean, that's they, the one they let you
1: customize it somewhat, but it's like, oh, do you want to switch, run, and jump? It's like, that doesn't do
0: anything. Yeah, or do you want to like, invert your, your aim? It's like, no, because I'm using the gyro, gyro. Why would it be inverted? But I will say one thing they nailed with the controls, I really like the quick IM switcher. Yeah. I wish they applied it to more than just like your weaponry because I feel like having to jump into a menu and dig around just to heal yourself is kind of like a weird... Like it's not bad, but it just seems like there could have been a quick access to that somehow. But I do really like that. At least they have a,
1: at least the ingredients. I mean, at least what you've cooked has its yeah. own little section, so that's that true. does make it easier.
0: It, yeah, and but I really like. I also
1: have a sort button, so.
0: Oh yeah, they do. That's right. Yeah. but yeah, no, I really like. I think it's, like, it's like no different
1: than Monster Hunter because Monster Hunter, mm-hmm. you have a ton of items. actually. It's identical to Monster Hunter, just um, you hold down the button to like switch between your items, except the, that game doesn't pause because you're not supposed right. to. Yeah, the, the pause yeah, both...
0: is a godsend. Like, well, yeah, because I mean, this <laughs> in, one in battles and your sword breaks. Oh my god, that's the yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense because for Monster Hunter, it's the type of game where you have to be it's all about preparation. So, you're in no. theory, you're not supposed to be switching meals while you're fighting a monster, right, like, right? They emphasize that, that's true. So, for this game, it does make sense, but yeah, I mean, huge inventories. I mean, that's just part of it. it. In fact, it's nice that they even already separate them for you, fight mm-hmm, with like weapon, shield, blah blah blah. And, yeah, I mean drops, like random enemy drops and ingredients have unlimited storage capacity. It I know it's like. not, yeah. So that's which always...
0: is good, because I was actually worried. When I first started the game, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I have limited items. But if they limit the number of apples and highly and in mushrooms I can carry, I'm going to be mad. Which, and then I wasn't mad. Which, I mean, again.
1: they're already being overly generous for because, yeah. I mean, how does he stuff all that? Like, Link must have, like, magic. Question, he is magic. We yeah. did The
0: game sort of established Well, not magic, per se. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's technology involved, but yeah. Um But yeah, so I think in conclusion... I think it's safe to say this is an excellent game. I think this is safe to say it's a really good game. Um, I, I
1: mean, it's no rhythm heaven, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not not every not each game can be.
0: I mean, as I'm curious what they're gonna do with the DLC. In that, like, truth, what they're gonna do? In what's the map game. enhancement? Is it a Korok seed tracker? That's the only thing I could think of. Cause yeah, that,
1: probably that enshrines or something.
0: Yeah, because like, like, yeah. like for
1: those people that just want to complete it. Because I mean, that how like if you're beating the game and you're like, all right, now I'm gonna go Korok hunting, like. I don't know, like, you're going to yeah. backtrack a lot. Like You are. The finally, and, and, and you're literally going to have to go, like, up and down, up and down, like, the entire row. To, like,
0: literally rake all of Hyrule. Yeah, so
1: I feel like that map would have to... Or at least I'd have to track Korok Seeds or something. All
0: 900 of the Korok Seeds, which yeah. is nuts. But, yeah, so it's probably that. And I'm curious what the story scenario will be during the holidays. But we'll learn closer... You know, we'll learn about the expansion paths in the coming months. Um, but as a freestanding game now...
1: You definitely get your bang for your buck.
0: I'd say it's A, a must-have. B quite possibly the most impressive launch tile nintendo has had since mario 64 yeah we sport sure that was like ushered in a whole new era of motion control but in terms of depth design uh new ideas this whole this whole idea that's all about discovery which is very different from games in the it took a genre that already existed and really kind of turned it on its head in many ways and that's something nintendo only does once in a blue moon so yeah i would say this is if you don't have a Wii... If you've always play it on Switch and you don't have a Wii or you don't want to play it on Wii, this is worth buying a Switch for. It is an incredible game. It is a really good, I cannot recommend it enough. I feel like you're in the same boat. No. Yeah. Um, now, there was something you brought up right as we were going to record. It's actually a really good point. So this game is everything. This game is great. This game is massive. It's all about... It puts Zelda in a whole new light. What do they do next? Where yeah. do they go from here? Do they
1: just do another open How world with they... like a different story and different items, I guess? Like, it's just... Cause then, like, it's just gonna be more of the same at that point. That's kind of the issue with a lot of these big games. Like, Assassin's mm-hmm. Creed was cool the first time, then after but that, was, the it's pretty much the same game over and over, and just different story. I mean, you could say about every platformer, every blah blah blah, but I mean, they made such a huge change change from Skyward Sword to this one that you kind of want to see them. You want to have that same feeling again of like, "Whoa, this is so awesome this... and new!" Like, you, I guess they're just not gonna give you that for a while.
0: Well, I think the problem, the thing with Zelda, if Is what I'm now noticing, and I don't know if it's a pattern yet, but it seems like about once a decade they reinvent it. So we had 2D Zelda from '80 to '98, like '88 to '98. We had 3D, more linear Zelda from '98 till now. So presumably this is the template for the next decade of Zeldas, which means, and I mean, they did not build this giant engine for just this one game. They did not. I wouldn't. First of all, I would not be surprised if we see some of this, some of these concepts of like discovering your own way and stuff spill into other Nintendo games i think mario odyssey is a candidate for a somewhat par- uh like pared down version of this like i i think the fact that you have like the jumping of different planets and stuff opens the door for non-linear uh progress through mario odyssey and the way they do that within each world will be kind of interesting but i think this is a this is like a whole new game design language for intent not language but game design concept for Nintendo. i think we're gonna see it in a lot of different ways but in terms of zelda itself I not know.
1: this is one genre they haven't really dipped into yet, just the open world. Yeah, and we're going to see so. it spill
0: over. I'm almost positive. But in terms of Zelda itself, I don't think they can just make Breath of the Wild 2. Yeah, I, I yeah. honestly, this is going to sound kind of weird. like, I mean, I guess... They're going to... I'd argue they're going to scale back again. Not, like, permanently. It's still going to be open world, yeah, but I, I could see... I, I could see them doing,
1: like, oh, we're going to do... We're going to get rid of the, sh- the shrine system entirely, and instead just do a bunch of, like, a few, like, maybe 20 big temples. Because they definitely had enough puzzles to satisfy a bunch of them so now instead of having these just four temples and the 100 shrines maybe they're just gonna have like 10 big shrines or 20 big shrines that you have to discover kind of like in the first zelda yeah
0: yeah yeah so, i can see them do that i can see them do so like with like
1: a bunch of proper bosses and like, i yeah. mean yeah that's kind of weird. or maybe just have even more like mini bosses throughout the land I don't and, know. and that
0: matches up like if you look at ocarina and what it did for zelda and they look at majora's mask and what they did was they took what what ocarina was and sort of Parsed it down a little and made it more of a. Yeah,
1: because that one only had four temples coming yeah, from Yeah, So the they eight, shrunk it, but they
0: made it more intense by yeah. making it darker in story and by literally rushing you through it because you had time limits. I could see them trying to do something like that with Breath of the Wild. Like, they're like, okay, here's it's the playground. It's going to be that playground. Black
1: sheet that it's going to be like the yeah. favorite, best game for some people, and for others, it's going to be like, oh, I didn't really like it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, I could see them totally being like, okay. Here's, but everyone will buy it because of how good this is. Of course, one yeah. So yeah. they like, here's the full playground. You got experience in Breath of the Wild. Now, what if we. Sort of limited it a bit, but then we're gonna make you really have to hustle, or we're gonna make you really have to. It's gonna get real dark.
1: And You're gritty, being hunted or, the entire time, or something like something like that. That'd like, be I could interesting. See them do something like that. That so you can explore how you want, but I mean, eventually this creature is gonna get you, or the moon will so crash to, so, you have, again so you have to be or... moving all the time, or something.
0: Yeah, like there could be like a shadowy something that's hunting you down, or or something like that, or you, or you know, carry... they can do they can wind waker it. They can switch this to oceanic exploration and have the next one be boat based again, or based on that concept art from that GDC panel, maybe Link becomes a Metallica fan. Or no, that was Gandorf with the Metallica shirt. But maybe, you know what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Those concept renders of Link as like a skater kid or a motorcycle kid. Maybe the alien invasion thing becomes the plot. They showed that, and hey, that fits the you're being hunted, basically. Like they have, I don't think they should necessarily do that. My point is they have ways where it could take this structure they built, use this engine they built, and just kind of create a more specific experience within it. I don't think we're going to see a game quite the same as Breath of the Wild where it's literally do anything you want anytime you want. I think they're going to have to put artificial limitations. But those limitations don't necessarily have to be the old style of Zelda limitation where it's just you can only go point A to B. It can be more like we're putting other limitations like the time limit you were saying or something hunting you on top of it. So it'll be interesting to see. This game, I suspect that's partly why they're doing the DLC is just to buy themselves time. They can just milk this game for all it's worth for a little while and keep that whole Zelda everything. It's kind of like they're gonna run into the same problems almost every game. Mario Kart Eight, how you do Mario Kart Nine? What changes?
1: Like, or how about? I mean, they could go Sonic transformed. I mean, I don't know how, how much yeah. more you could you could tweak the kart mechanic or just go back to double dash. I don't know.
0: Yeah, like, see what I mean? That like, it, they're, they're Nintendo's gotten so good with it, or like, take Splatoon. Splatoon Two is just Splatoon One with some more stuff thrown in. Like, eventually they're gonna have to do something bigger, but what will that be? Like, it's. It's a question that's true for logins, games but Zelda's in a unique position where it's so massive and so open right now that you don't really know. One one potential thing they could do with uh, a Breath of the Wild sequel, now I think about is is co-op.
1: Hmm.
0: They could do some sort of online co-op or online integration. They could Xenoblade it up a bit because Xenoblade had that whole online – Xenoblade 2 had that online component. Yeah. So that'd be kind of interesting. You have hunting party. You they monster they monster hunter. It. You have hunting party. Huh. There's a beast tracking you, and you have to stay ahead. Like there's Legend all of Zelda: of Beast Hunter. Yeah, so there that'd be too blatant, and Capcom would be pissed. But
1: Beasts of the Wild.
0: Yeah, Beast of the Wild. Yeah, so there there's some um, there's some potential there. So I'm excited to see what's next. But I'm more excited to dive back into Zelda. Like I'm not even kidding. So
1: we for those
0: listening, we usually record and then hang out after for a while after But today, uh, Angel has stuff to do. So like we're gonna record. I'm gonna go home, and I'm. Just talk about Zelda for the last half an hour. I'm like itching to play it right now. Like, I'm like, uh, we still have podcasts to do. Uh, but uh, speaking of podcasts to do. So, yeah, takeaway is buy Zelda if you don't already have it. It's really good. But before we go, and before I go back to playing Zelda, and before we go back to things you actually have to do, we have one more thing to one more piece of business, and that is our contest. So, last episode, we asked you guys uh, to tell us your favorite Switch feature for a chance to win a $20 eShop code, courtesy of our listener, Satoshi. Thank you again, Satoshi. And here we are, two weeks later, with your answers. And we went through all the answers, and we're picking the winner at random, but it's kind of interesting to see what you guys had to say. I think the two of us underestimated how much portability matters to people.
1: Yeah, I mean, some people definitely don't care about portability, but overall, though, it's definitely, it was like off-TV play, where it's like, oh, it doesn't seem like that's the selling point, because you want, like, a powerful console, but at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, it seems like the majority of the people just love the fact that you could take it anywhere, love the fact that it is a very powerful handheld and that you're going to get to play all these amazing games on it wherever you go.
0: Yeah. We saw multiple comments from people that are like, Oh, I love that. I have like an HD system anywhere, or I love that I could be on a plane. I can't remember who said this, but I could be on a plane for 10, 12 hours and I have a full console Zelda sitting there with me or a full console Mario, or whatever it may be. But it wasn't only portability. There are a few points that were made that we haven't even covered on show that I thought was kind of interesting. Like um John P and Robert both pointed out that um there's this instantaneousness of the Switch that has been lacking from game consoles and even the 3DS for quite a while now. Like, you can turn it on and be... Actually, it's about the same as the 3DS, maybe. But you could turn it on and be in a game very quickly, while if you boot up the Wii U, you're waiting a couple minutes. If you boot up the PS4, you're jumping through menus. Yeah, like... it's the
1: same thing with... Well, it's something that the PS4... I know introduced... Because the PS4 has sleep mode. Yeah. So it's pretty much what... Like, I know always loves that feature because you could just rest it. You don't have to even turn it off <laughs> or save it. You could just continue moments like where you left off. And right. That's true, and the switch just pretty much takes it a step further because you could take it anywhere and do the same thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they so they talked about that, and I think Robert actually gave a specific specific example of other things in the interface that are really quick, like moving an, uh, your me onto the system. I did this to myself; I didn't really think about bringing it up. But it's a good point. Is like all it takes is going as you set it up. You just tap an amiibo with your me on it, and it's in the system. There's no scanning QR codes. There's no trying to recreate. It. So otherwise, it's just one and done. It's super easy, and that that's something that has kind of been the case with everything in the interface, I'd argue, is yeah, we're missing stuff, but what's there is incredibly snappy. So that's so that's a good point from those two. Also something I got a couple shout from people are the versatility of the Joy Cons. Like we talked about this when you were talking about how you play in bed earlier and that sort of thing. But the ability to hold them split between two hands or um, you know, have hand one off to a friend if you just happen to be playing something solo and then they come sit next to you or whatever, like that's a thing that a lot of you guys seem to like and uh, a, uh, one of our listeners, N Z, gave a very specific answer that the Joy-Con size also works out really well because he's found a way to comfortably use his thumb to both rest the back of his thumb on the control stick to move its characters and then press the buttons with the top of his thumb. So the fact that they're that tiny means that you have ways to not even have to like, fidget with it in your hand. You could literally just rest your hand on it and if you have, I guess, a big enough hand, you can reach all the buttons, you can reach the stick. It's super convenient. So that was something that I don't think we really considered either. Um, another thing that I personally didn't consider is uh, Anthony, a UK listener of ours, um, called out the region-free abilities of the Switch. He was specifically saying like it's really nice that um, you know, he can get a game from the US or get a game from Japan. Or presumably in the case of this contest, it, you know, we're going to pick the winner it's in May. Funny, here. But if he ends up winning, he can take our US code. And still actually do something with it on the USE shop, which you could not do for generations with Nintendo. It's funny,
1: like, I like that you can do that, but for some reason, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go download some demos or maybe get this game early. But as soon as I went to the. As soon as I was about to act on that, I'm like, I don't know, I just. It can't, feels weird. I can't get myself to not get something from the US. Yeah,
0: personally, I'm not using it. I don't know. It's just like, I'll play it when it's ready. I thought I was going to, but it yeah. turns out I'm probably. But it's around. cool that for people in other places yeah. where they want to. The I options mean, the
1: only exception is like, oh, they bring out some Ace Attorney and,
0: but it's in Japanese. Yeah, I'm still learning. Oh, that's true. I forgot your language. I mean, eventually
1: yeah. that won't be a barrier. The only thing that still really sucks is that, I mean, the U.S. localization is what really makes it. It's the reason yep. why I'm a big fan because they catered it to our country. Right. So you would need it. So yeah. I mean, I would lose all the references, all the, and mm-hmm. you know, the jokes. Well, that, uh,
0: that's the issue you had with yeah. the anime, isn't
1: it? Um, well, the, the yeah. translate anime versus yeah, it, the, it, yeah, it was kind of. Yeah, like th- there was some just because I played the game, they're pretty much mirroring it. I knew what they were talking about, but yeah. there was definitely some differences like that, especially the fact that it's not called Phoenix.
0: Oh right, I
1: forgot. What's he called re- over there? Na- or something like that. No,
0: oh, that name just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a good point. But uh, what was I getting out with? I mean, this? you missed oh, yeah. miss out on all the puns. Oh well, yeah, 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 and puns. Phoenix Wright is all about the puns, yeah. so I I love puns. apparently
1: Breath of the Wild too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that? Oh, what was the word they kept using? Seal. Seal. seal.
1: Yeah, that's when you go to the, the other area. Yeah, by the
0: way, thank you. And then someone at Nintendo must listen to our podcast, like, because someone on the localization team, because they must have seen how much we love puns and be like, you know what? Why don't we give them a whole game of them? Like, there's a whole segment of Breath of the Wild where every single question, every single comment, every single NPC, everything, even the answers Link can give are all puns of the word seal. And there's even a dude who basically is like, nah, I'm not going to make the pun. Like, it's that much of a pun world so it it's it's great i feel like our breath of the wild pun is pretty good too a vast open thing is what that word means but it also sounds like breath see what we did there anyway people are just saying you're like can i hear the winner now so yes the the reason i went through those entries is to mainly say thank you to all of you that entered it is cool to hear what you guys find as we have sort of noted it's different than what we thought we would hear so that was kind of interesting um but we can only give the code to one person we're going to choose one person at random. I have a number generator here. There are 25 eligible comments. So there are 25 of you that can win. Uh I just need to hit go. And it looks like... It's who? It is. Hold on, I'm scrolling. Hang on. All right, congratulations to our randomly chosen winner, Tytuna. Ty Tuna won for... Congrats, uh... Tuna.
1: What? I said congrats, Ty Tuna. Yeah,
0: so Ty Tuna won.
1: With Wait, Thai the, tuna or Thai? Thai, thai oh. as in
0: like the place, as in Thailand, as in a tuna of Thailand, perhaps. Oh. But yeah, so Thai tuna won um, our twenty dollars gift card, and check your email for that. And thank you again for everyone to everyone who entered it. We'll try and do these, you know, every so often. We always do. So to make sure you don't miss one in the future, always you can follow us at Ram Nintendo on Twitter. You can subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice. If you happen to listen to us on YouTube, on YouTube, well, we're not on YouTube. If you happen to listen to us on no, iTunes, we're, barely on YouTube. we're on YouTube, but we're not do podcasts on YouTube. But, uh, yeah, if you happen to listen to us on iTunes, feel free to leave us a review. That helps us get out to more people, which in theory means more contests down the road. But, yeah, we'll, we'll be doing more of these every so often, so definitely keep an ear out. Um, in the meantime, our next episode arrives on April 2nd with our impressions of the Splatoon Test Fire that's going to be happening and our impressions of uh, – you're playing Metal Slug, right? The Neo Geo one on Switch? Yes. So we'll have impressions of that. So you don't want to miss that. We're also, of course, going to have all the latest news. Um, so yeah, in the meantime you can follow us individually on Twitter, I'm JSR7 Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O, you can also friend us on Switch they are on our meet Jason and meet Angel pages on the site, they're on the Twitter, at Rand Nintendo we pinned it to the top, so do that and until then, stop listening to us go back to Breath of the Wild and we'll see you in two weeks.